Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. We would be honored if you joined us. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. It's uh, Wes, Hank, and Andy. I'm back from the uh, wilds of Mexico. Wicked. Had a wonderful time. Managed to catch the episode last week uh, on the spotty Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who were paying attention last week, you may have seen that I got kind of clipped into the show. So thank you very mm-hmm. much, Andy, for handling that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, what do you think, guys? We've uh, we've come to the end of the road. <clears throat> it was a it was a short one, and now you know the funny thing is we started with what uh, six minutes twenty three seconds. Is that is that what we started with? A yes. Boba Fett screen time? Uh, yeah, six minutes and thirty two seconds. I think is the yeah, is yeah, the yeah. count. And we've got to have now five hours plus. Sure, we do. Easily. Right? Sure, we so do. Yeah, yeah. We now have more Boba Fett than. Almost every other Star Wars character. Ever. <laughs> yeah, isn't that so, so true? You know, and and you know what the the best thing uh, is, um, we really, except for pieces of his character, and I don't yeah, mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean his character, the type of person that he is, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. makes him tick, his characterization, uh, right? Except right. for that, we still don't know nothing about Boba Fett. We just watched him do some stuff yeah. for five, six hours of, of content. And he's still an enigma. And I think that's, I think people are missing that point a lot. As I was putting the, uh, as I was putting the, the finishing touches on the show notes uh, in the wee hours this morning, you know, I had this thought that uh, not only did we, I mean, of course there's the, the back to tank uh, uh, time jump plot device, but to me on some level the the entire season works as a prologue for the next chapter of his life i think this the entire season just set up something bigger and i know we talked about uh i think we're fairly uh, fairly confident fairly certain that we're going to get uh some form of liberation of mandalore and i think that this season actually makes that a real possibility that boba will be able to jet off and do all those things that we i think that people wanted to see him do in this season yeah i don't think this is the last book of boba fett for sure no. no, neither do I. At the very least, he's earned the respect of the people of uh, of Mos Espa. Of Mos yeah. Espa. Oh yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. They give him they give him fruit just like Corleone at the end of The Godfather. They give him mad props with all the bowing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, 
now that the whole uh, season is over, um, I just want to lightly, just lightly, because I know we've been pretty heavy sometimes, just lightly uh, touch on some of the emotional stuff. Like, um, did the show deliver the way that you wanted it to? If I have one criticism, it's that we only got one episode with Danny Trejo. Oh, that's an interesting one. Give too. me more rank. Yeah. Keeper. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. And I, I, I don't even know why it's not ten out of ten, except that I, there's always room like for more. Uh, there but I was suitably, I was super happy with everything that was served to me. Um, um, I, I like shiny yeah. Vespas. I like pale Cad Bane. I, I like, I liked all of I that. I like dark sabers. I like to see Luke. Uh, I don't care if his voice is computer generated or if it's Mark Hamill or uh, I'm, I'm a huge star Wars fan and uh, I'm, this is a heyday. I keep saying it. And uh, the, all the people that are just complaining to complain, I don't know if they actually lived through that. Those, the, well, the, you the, know, the decade of, times. of yeah. nothing. <laughs> there was a decade where it was just dead air. That's right. All we had was our imagination. So That's right. And I think you we know should what? count our blessings and our blessings are actually many. I agree with you. I think, and I said it before, but you know, maybe some of that, uh, some of that really does drop back to all that we, all we did have was our imaginations. And I think that's where like some of this, like real hardcore gatekeeping ownership of the character comes from is we all had our own uh, impression of what he was supposed to be. And when it didn't come out that way, whoo, hell hath no fury, like a star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Fair enough. Oh, we got our first uh, comment coming in from uh, Facebook. It's our friend of the show. It's Eric. Eric says, uh, felt like a lot of fan service for the old guard of Star Wars and a lot of setup for future series. Uh, Mandalorian Season 3, Ahsoka, etc. Yes, sir. Uh, I will have to agree with you on some of that. I will disagree on the old guard fan service bit because that's actually one of my biggest complaints is that... Uh, we didn't get, and I mentioned this before, we didn't get any other legacy bounty hunter characters. And I really thought that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, but that leaves room for later. I agree. I agree with that. I'm hoping that they will uh, revisit them at some point. Yeah, no need to uh, throw everyone in there right from the start. Well, I mean, you know, we had, uh, like I said, two weeks ago, we had the ki the kitchen sink episode. And I mean, that really would have been the kitchen sink if they chucked a bunch of uh, bounty hunters at us. Second comment coming in here from uh, Keith. Keith says, I'm just glad that Max Rebo made it through Jabba's barge. And yeah, is uh, the, so am I. It looks like he made it through the sanctuary explion too. I was going to say, yeah, is that I don't think is that up in the air as well? I think, yeah, it seemed to be. He was not, I did not see him in that scene. And there was a second <laughs> bit accompanying that drummer droid. Uh, there's this whole uh, notion. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of ha ha tongue in cheek, but it's like, if you didn't see a body, they're never really gone. Well, this is it. This is in star Wars and comic books and, and, and fantasy in general. It's all, you know, no one's ever really dead. No uh, one's ever really gone. Wasn't no. that uh, a line in, uh, oh my Lord, it's been a line all over the place. Yeah. It, it is just one of those tropes, right? Wasn't it the Last Jedi? I think you're right. That's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Last Jedi or Rise, of, or Rise of Skywalker? One of those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, yeah. So I mean, obviously, my my one big nitpick is obviously the the bounty hunter thing. But 
as you say, I mean, we've got lots more Star Wars to explore, and we have uh, tons of room to, uh, to, to make more connections. Um, what about that IMDB entry for uh, Harrison Ford? Yeah, that's got to be the best misdirect I've ever found. <laughs> what I'd like to know is uh, who planted that? Yeah, I mean, Mark you know Hamill. what I mean. Somebody crafted. That would be great. I actually, I don't know that that's something that fans can edit for sure. It's internal, I don't know right? either. Yeah. So, and then I got to assume that he had to have been given some credit there, like, like, like Absolutely, monetarily, yeah. like you know, like we're gonna grease the wheels a little, just, just as a misdirect, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Who knows exactly how that works? But it was up there for a while. You know what I didn't do is I I didn't bother to check. Uh, now to see if it's still neither up did i i've stayed away from it in fact i mean i've been so consumed with preparing uh today's show uh because there's so much going on in this episode that i really have had a whole lot of time uh to engage in the fan communities and what little bit i did um no surprise was pretty toxic this week so uh you know what um i'm happy just to stay sort of in in our little bubble uh and just kind of be <sighs> And celebrate it the kind of the way that we do. Yeah, it's the the things that they pick. Um, you know the 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 lead uh, the lead mod. I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, it's uh, Drash. So, Drash. Drash um, character. Uh, so clearly, yeah. never held a gun in her life that it was distracting to me. Um, but I can't. I'm not going to sit there and, and you know tear the whole show no, down no, seven no. episodes of because she kept pointing it at herself. I made the same. Did you guys uh, see that? <laughs> I did not, but I, I made the same analogy uh, with Fennec Shand. I mean, seeing her thumb on the wrong side of the buttstock, I'm like, <gasps> yeah, positive control on that weapon, young lady. <laughs> there was a moment where Drash pointed the gun right at the camera, and her elbow was so hyperextended. I thought, oh, oh right, you're break your wrist. You're gonna break life. something. <laughs> Sophie Thatcher. But, Sophie a, Thatcher. There it is, yeah, Sophie it's... Thatcher, who's not a gun expert. She's an actress. No, no, uh, that's and, fair. I mean, that's you know. And I could, I could see where people can just run with the weirdness, and, and yeah, they yeah. do. Like there's a, uh, there's a one hour edit of uh, the spin. Everybody, what people are calling the spin, which is that yes. spinorama that that her partner does to. to oh and who my can, gosh! Don't yeah, we love yeah. cowboy movie flair? Like, don't we love? I, I love do. Tobias Beckett with his. I do. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so and the, so there's like a one hour edit of that guy spinning. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> there's this whole like. I mean, conversely, the the whole like just because you can doesn't mean you should. At the same time, like you say, that that flourish, that flair, it's part of the style. And I mean, the biggest counterpoint wa- to that I can think of is we went from lightsaber dueling in the original trilogy being based on like heavy swords and fencing to the prequel trilogy where it was like, let's just spin our swords around for no reason at all. So, I mean, like, right. Why are you? Picking, you know, picking flea stuff out of one thing, but right. the other one's okay. Like, just it, it lets no me know that they don't actually have anything to, you know, when well, they have yeah. to, when they have to skim the dregs, then I know that yeah. there's no real ground for them to stand on. Right, 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 right. So I just want to, now that the whole thing is over and we, I know we've touched on this before, but I want to go back to the whole notion of the show title, the book of Boba Fett. 
How do we feel about the title? Was the title apt for uh, the entire series? Did it encapsulate sort of what we thought? Like, does it serve? Because to me, the book is a metaphor for the type of storytelling, just like the flashbacks are. Mm. Mm. How do you feel about that? I think it was biblical. I think that that it's the, uh, it's Exodus. It's the book of Moses. It's the book of, of, of Enoch. There's a few biblical references going on there. Right. Um, Right. uh, It's, Boba Fett's death and his his birth, his rebirth, the his rebirth, origin yeah. story. So that like yep. the, the um, new gospel you know, of Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't have to get heavy into the Christian mysticism part of it, but it is that too. It is the rebirth. That there's of course there's a lot is, yeah, of yeah. things going on there, um, and uh, if I guess in a way it's honoring that those dark times we referenced before were all we had yeah. were novels, and and so it would you know a book about Boba Fett made us jump out of our seats for sure in the did, nine, yeah, early yeah. 90s right um right. so uh, maybe a little bit of that the idea that we we've been going since mando one we've been going in chapters yes and, uh that's and been it consistent a, it has a little bit of a feel of a game of thrones sort of like where we're weaving yeah yeah it really in does. And out, you know um they learned a lot of uh, stuff uh, uh ensemble stellar uh, storytelling like lost was brilliant at it till it fell apart at the end but right right uh, right i don't really think tv has been the same since that stuff they they they, we're allowed to be smarter for our audiences we're allowed to to be more in depth and 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 let people run with plot threads and things of that nature. right 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 Uh, yeah i i and i think it had a lot of that influence um yeah for sure for sure Another comment coming in from Eric, uh, who says the the forward of Boba Fett, the interlude of the Mandalorian, and the prologue of Luke Skywalker, bad teacher. Oh. Mm. All of those, and, and I mean, I'm laughing because it's fun and it's lighthearted, but like every one of those statements uh, bears a truth on some level. No, it's true. Um, it does, yeah. I mean, Luke... We can get into it when it, I mean, actually that all happened in the last episode and we sort of did cover it, but he's 28 years old and yeah, he blew up a death star and yeah, he defeated Darth Vader and the emperor and he he learned everything you could learn from Yoda in two weeks where it takes the rest of us lifetimes, you know, 30 Um, years, 20 some years, (laughs) right? Yeah. But he's 28 years old and he's a human being and. For all the people that have a huge problem with the character in the last Jedi, all I have to say is look at the two people that trained him and tell me what they did when faced with adversity. They went inside themselves and they removed themselves from their ability to connect with the force and their ability to interact with other people until they could get their bearing on what the will of the force was. It's completely consistent with star Wars. And I think that it's a little bit silly for people to go, Luke would have been, you know, he's both. He's absolutely both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to take away from what we're talking about right now, but as you say, Hank, I really hope that uh, that's something that when when the Obi Wan series rolls around, that we actually get to. Because, as you know, I'm a I'm a very uh, big Qui Gon Jinn fan, and I think that uh, you know that there's an opportunity there to develop the Obi Wan character to show us the motivation for why now was it simply based on Luke's age? Was it really just? the death of you know owen and baru was it the droids like there had to be I, I, there's more there and i just like to right see that yeah a little more yeah i always got that sense that the, that that r2 that, like it was all just this sort of this zeitgeist the way that everything yeah. you know and of course it was written like that but 
you know, that that all the things, all the dominoes fell back into place to to set up the conditions for. Yeah, really you know, did. one thing in that first film doesn't happen, and Luke doesn't go down that path. Like if if Baru and 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 uh, Owen don't take Owen, the droids, yeah. it doesn't happen. If they're not killed by the stormtroopers, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. If Luke goes to Tashi Station instead of doing what he's told, it doesn't happen. There's, you know, so. Um, if there's the will of the force to anything, I think that that you might explore that. And more specifically, the the develop <laughs> tripping on my tongue, the mm. development of Obi Wan as a Jedi. I mean, uh, Yoda's last words were, "I have training for you. You know, right. teach you teach you how to commune with him. I will." And so, I right. mean, that that to me is a major major plot point and an opportunity for Obi Wan to develop from General of the Clone Wars to wizened wizened old man ready to take on the mantle of of uh and i sort of hope that it's not lost that 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 we have shell shock war veteran and that there's going to you know there's there's a there's a serious amount of trauma uh at the same time he's a jedi knight and a jedi master and all those things that we love but there's a serious serious mental beating that that man took and i really want to see that sort of addressed because he is absolutely my favorite character uh, no, like I said, well. we, we talked uh, in private about it, and uh, it's the one I'm excited the most, but it's actually the one that I'm nervous about the most because the stakes were the highest for me. Yeah, and it's also got a, a much shorter episode count. I think we're six, yeah. six on six, this and one? that's it. Yeah, guaranteed a, a six, and that's limited it. series, a one Self- and done. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Uh, just following up on that, Eric says, I read a lot of the old Young Jedi Knight books as a kid, and they always depicted him as much more competent as a teacher. That's my issue, but uh, that only exists in Legends, apparently. Listen, man. We're not there yet. Your head cannon uh, still counts, so you like what you like, and nobody can uh, tell you that that doesn't, uh, doesn't work. So certainly I won't. But just to bring it back around to the... Uh, the book thing. This is the one thing where we talked about it uh, was a couple of weeks ago. I think we talked about why remember when uh, they were announcing that the, the, the spinoff and they weren't even sure what it was going to be called. I mean, there was the biggest complaint, you know, or, or I should say the biggest, but one of the bigger complaints about being, you know, the, the best episodes were episodes of the Mandalorian. Well, let's not forget that the book of Boba Fett is an extension of that. And I actually said this to somebody online. I said, would it have worked better for you if the show was called the Mandalorian subtitled the book of Boba Fett? Because if you frame it that way, it works in all the other contexts that we've theorized before, like the book of Bo-Katan, the book of Oscar Reeves, the book of Sabine Wren. Right. It was always framed. Uh, even when it when, when we first heard about it, we got super excited. But then, it, you know, the writers and the creators started talking about it. It was always framed yeah. like season 2.5. Yeah, To exactly. the point that some of the people filming some of the episodes had no idea they weren't yeah, filming yeah, Mandalorian yeah. season 3. Well, that including makes sense Shan. I was going to say, that that makes sense now when you go back and, like, she didn't realize that she was shooting Boba Fett. So did they shoot those Mando-centric uh, episodes early on, maybe? maybe. That makes sense. I mean, you know... It makes a lot of sense. They're not Richard right. Donner shooting back-to-back movies. But. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeepers. I read into that when you told me that, and I went mental. I went down a rabbit hole there. That's a crazy yeah. story. We'll save that for another time. We'll save that one when we talk story. about Superman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, guys, you ready to get into this? Ready to do it? Let's do it. All right, this is the way we do it right here on Fandom Power. It's the book of Boba Fandom. 
Chapter 7, In the Name of Honor. It debuted on Wednesday, February 9th, uh, 2022. A whopping runtime of 61 minutes with your entire credit sequence, or 53 minutes and 6 seconds without. This week... There is a post credit scene, as I think many of us thought there would be uh, for the finale, just like they did with the uh, last season of The Mandalorian. That starts at uh, 56.54, runs through to 57.17. This episode is written by Jon Favreau, once again directed by Robert Rodriguez. And the episode begins. We open with a long aerial shot of Mos Espa. Judging from the long shadows cast by the canyon walls, it's probably late in the day. The sky over the city is empty, save for a few birds. The camera cuts to a long overhead shot of the street in front of the sanctuary, and the building facade is scorched, and debris from the explosion litters the roadway. Inside, Aboba and Fennec survey the damage, remarking that they are now at war. Troubled, Boba says that even if they win... There may not be much of the city left afterwards. Just then, the Mandalorian walks in to report on his mission to hire foot soldiers. And Fennec asks Mando if he was able to hire anyone, and he replies, I think so. When Fennec asks at what price, Mando tells her, free. Leading with the news that Cobb Vanth has been single-handedly keeping the Spice Runners at bay out in Freetown... He adds that the marshal will raise a garrison for them with the understanding that together they'll put a stop to spice running altogether. Interestingly, and, that part of their conversation from episode six yeah, didn't occur on yeah, camera. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Did they actually he didn't tell him that, you know, did he, they yeah. actually talk about that? <laughs> but you recall that when he first walked, when they first started shooting inside the cantina with the ribs, yeah, they, they were, they hit the ground running in media res. They picked up the conversation. Like oh, yeah. Had, yeah. Yeah. Hadn't stopped. No, yeah. you're absolutely. Uh, it was interesting. Well, Fennec says, well, that's not free. That's most of Jabba's business. Uh, but Boba agrees to the terms. Now, Fennec argues that uh, there are a lot of credits to be made, but Boba counters by saying that uh, shutting down the spice trade is actually better for them in the long run, that Mos Espa can actually become a uh, prosperous uh, city under their protection, and that the spice is killing people. So, I mean, let's just stop here for a second and just uh, remember that Boba Fett, has said i'm the crime lord here mm-hmm. which apparently does not include being a drug dealer so th- this this is straight out of godfather one yeah um, uh corleone uh, don corleone the original marlon brando yeah, doesn't yeah, want to yeah. sell drugs no. and it's it's actually old gangster movie trope the good guys don't sell drugs <laughs> they're still gangsters they still criminals. do horrible things they have tommy guns <laughs> and big cars and all that but the bad gangsters. guys sell drugs <laughs> Yeah, and it's yeah. always been that distinction in mob movies, and this is perfect. It's absolutely right, right, right. That too. And then it's like, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, I mean, in order for him, even if he wanted to, that would put him in direct cahoots with the Pikes, the very people that he's trying to oust. Right. No way he's going to do that. All right. With, uh, with that, Boba instructs Mando to inform Cobb Vant that he agrees to the terms but Mando tells him he can tell Vanth himself when he arrives with the backup that they so desperately need. Still troubled with the gravity of the situation, Boba questions uh, uh, Mando, asking, you're confident that he will come? And when Mando answers, yes, he is, Boba adds, well, if he doesn't, we're doomed. 
adding that uh, their skill is no match for the Pike's numbers and they need to buy time until uh, reinforcements arrive. All right. Uh, shifting his gaze uh, between Fennec, Mando, Drash, and Scad, Boba says that they'll lock down at the palace, but uh, Scad boldly tells him that's a bad idea. Uh, taken back, Boba retorts, is that so? And Scad reaffirms that, yes, it is a bad idea. Well, Boba then asks him, well, where do you suggest that we uh, wait it out? And Scad remarks, here. Boba dismisses that suggestion as nonsense, adding that the palace offers far greater protection than the ruins that they are presently standing in. But then it's Drash who pipes up quite vocally and tells Boba that if he wants to abandon Mos Espa by hiding in his fortress, he should go ahead, but they're not leaving because the people who live here need protecting. They, uh, they give her a few sort of Jin uh, Erso lines in this episode. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, she does yeah. have that. You know what? My wife said the same thing, that she does have that. Not only just the, the lines, but I mean, she also has the physicality as well. Sure, and the gate. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exchanging glances with uh, Fennec and the Mandalorian, Boba looks back to the mods and says, we'll stay. Now, with a wipe transition... Uh, we move to the streets of uh, Mos Eisley at night. Two Jawas are stripping parts off a uh, parked speeder as a pair of ammunition-laden boots stride into frame. Cat Bane casually walks past while the Jawas continue to brazenly strip the vehicle. But when he turns to his gaze to scrutinize the diminutive scavengers, they quickly hunker down for cover. And uh, I couldn't resist it because I think I had about a million of these between childhood and adulthood, but uh, they're stripping that speeder down with a bicycle wrench. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Excellent. A stepping you off. You can't, oh, uh, you can't get your fur clipped with a bicycle wrench. With a bicycle wrench. <laughs> <laughs> stepping off the street into the Pike Syndicate headquarters, uh, which we will come to learn is actually the uh, Moss Eisley Desert Survey Office. Cad Bane enters the room just as uh, Mouse Espa Mayor Mock Shays and the syndicate reps uh, discuss what kind of response to the bombing should be made. Obviously, the bombing of uh, the sanctuary. But the Curiously, rep- this, this, this Pike is never named, eh? No, he's not. I mean, he's still no. Phil Lamar to me, but uh, there's a few I, people. I just wonder really. if he's, is he the same Pike from the train? I don't think the he is. The one that is. stood up to be the leader. I went back and listened to them and I tried to see if the voices were the same. And I think it's a, a different guy. A different voice actor. Yeah. Now that you say that, I wonder if uh read it guy was the same guy from the train. Hmm. Oh, maybe I'm going to have to go back on that. If anybody out there knows the answer to that one, drop it in the comments yeah, and let help. us know. <laughs> we need help too. Sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So, um, where was that here? The syndicate rep remarks that uh, Cad Bane didn't take very long and then asks if his venture was successful. The mayor then cuts in, adding, did you convince the marshal to remain neutral? And with a toothy sneer, Bane affirms that he did. Satisfied with Bane's answer, the mayor continues saying that uh, he wants everything to be over as quickly as possible and asks if Boba Fett has access to any other resources, mentioning that he once used to live amongst Tuscan Raider tribe. But the syndicate rep assures the mayor that they no longer exist, pointing out that his organization was personally responsible for killing the tribe and planting the evidence to implicate the Kintan Striders. 
Yeah, we knew that. Uh, we all knew that. Yeah. But I, it's still I, nice yeah. to have that that affirmation that, like, oh, we got that one. <laughs> when Cad Bane asks, does Fett know that? The Pike says he has no idea. Bane retorts, I didn't realize that the Pike syndicate was so ruthless. But the Pike corrects him by saying they're pragmatic. <laughs> With the Tuscans charging them protection money, they had to protect their margins. Well, the mayor then asks, well, how long will it take to end the conflict? And Bane tells him it depends on how much he and the Pike leader can stomach. The mayor says he doesn't want to see the use of any more explosives. He never signed off on the bombing of uh, Garza's sanctuary. And he only agreed to surgical strikes, not open warfare. The Pike leader feigns an apology, while at the same time telling the mayor that uh, that line has already been crossed. But the Athorian digs in and tells the Pike that as he is still the mayor, he will not see the city destroyed. Noting that the Fet Gatra is holed up in the ruins of the sanctuary, the Pike says uh, it will take some extreme measures to remove them. And as the camera pulls in on Cad Bane's face, he says, I think I have an idea how to draw Boba Fett out. And then we uh, cut to our title cards. Again, it's uh, the book of Boba Fett. This one is uh, chapter seven in the name of honor. All right. We then cut to uh, an over the shoulder shot of uh, R2-D2 in the droid socket of Luke Skywalker's X-Wing. It's a cut to Hank screaming. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) Why? What did you think? I said that they w- we wouldn't see Grogu's decision until oh, the end of season three. Oh, right, 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 right. I said unequivocally, we won't. Don't worry, don't we won't see that. <laughs> right, right. We got a comment wow. here from uh, from Keith coming in here saying that uh, blowing up the Sarlacc pit was very satisfying. <laughs> can't argue there. No, I can't argue either. I have to wonder now, in light of this episode, had Pelly had been there, would there have been a barbecue? <laughs> she was ready to cook the rancor oh my god yeah uh so yeah it's r2d2 uh hunkered down in the droid socket of luke's x-wing uh it's nighttime and uh, the craft makes a low approach over moss Eisley. Uh, meanwhile at uh, pelimato's docking bay a proximity alarm goes off and the pit droids spring into action um i can't I, I don't know if you guys see this, but uh, in that sequence where uh, the X-Wing is like low over the city with those two, two tall towers, does that not, is that not evocative of uh, skimming the surface of the Death Star? Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, for sure. Checking a nearby console, uh, they see that it is indeed an X-Wing and the pit droids scramble to prepare for its imminent arrival. Uh, also, we've had a little bit of Orbesh this week. On that console, uh, the letters come up as uh, DSA. Not that they mean anything to me. Mm. I don't know if you guys got anything out of that, but. No. All right. From her office, a very nervous Peli Motto rushes out to meet what she believes is a new Republic patrol officer, all the while squawking <laughs> the droids to move this and hide that. As she babbles on about how coincidental it was that she just filed her New Republic certification just before the ship landed. <laughs> All right, with the ship now settled on the hangar floor and the canopy wide open, Pelly waits nervously for the pilot to step out. Much to her surprise, little Grogu pulls himself up on the edge of the cockpit and the two share an excited greeting before Grogu slides back into the seat. 
And I kind of scream at this point going, I'm right too, because the stakes aren't high enough for Luke Skywalker to be here. So I was wrong, but I'm right too. I'll say, so you want to talk about the the whole Luke Skywalker thing for a second? I've said this all along. We have to be very careful how and when we use our legacy characters. And right after that season finale of the Mandalorian with Luke coming in and basically saving the day and taking out the, um, the dark troopers, Right. Certainly, uh, having a, a Jedi of that skill participate in your gang war—it's a—it's a almost a foregone conclusion that Luke was going yes. to be the the central focus. And I think they were smart not to bring him back for this. No, I agree. Again, the stakes aren't high enough for Luke Skywalker's return to Tatooine to be about no. Boba Fett's no, absolutely. taking over a gang. Uh, it's got to be more about him finding something deep seated about obi-wan or even finding yeah the thing that's going to teach him how to commune with qui-gon or you know something yeah, more yeah, than yeah, this yeah. Uh, no i agree. definitely so yeah we could spend more time with luke as he starts uh, searching for uh, jedi artifacts that would be fun uh, right yeah we certainly we explore that quite a bit in the comics it's really yeah cool yeah, stuff. yeah 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 okay so Pelly climbs up the ladder while R2 beeps and whistles, asking her where the Mandalorian is. And she tells him that uh, he's not here. He's on a job somewhere in Mos Espa. And reaching out for Grogu, Pelly says, well, hello, bright eyes. And as she picks him up, R2 chirps out that his name is actually Grogu. But Pelly decides mm-hmm. that's a horrible name and immediately refuses to call him that. <laughs> um, she also notices that Grogu just happens to be wearing the Beskar chain shirt that uh, Mando gave him under his robes. Of course, she doesn't know what it is. She's just like, "Ooh, you're all shiny now. Mm-hmm. She calls him shiny. Yeah. 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 Um, Pelly's language ability. She's a woman of many languages. Far reaching. Yeah. She speaks droid pretty fluently. You know, even Luke, uh, who spent an awful lot of time with R2, well, maybe it got better with time, but I mean, remember back in A New Hope, Luke had to use the translator, like, in the cockpit of the X-Wing, just That's to, right. yeah. even in, even uh, on the way in, to Dagobah. in Empire, yeah, going to Dagobah, yeah. but yeah. Peli, I mean, she's fluent in, in Galactic Basic, she probably has an understanding of Hadith, because it's fairly common on Tatooine, but fluent in all, the, all the droid languages she's that she, fluent she, in Jawa. Least, yeah. she can speak Jawa. <laughs> Which is awesome. Uh, her character has really sort of is endearing, and I, I think she's kind of grown on me. I know that she is a is a is a comic relief character, but in the best way. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and one that works really well. It doesn't insist upon itself like parts of Jar Jar. You know, oh, you, no, we yeah, love yeah. him for nostalgia reasons, but he he does insist upon himself, and that she's very organic um, in terms of her place in star Wars. And it, I, I really, really, really love seeing normal people. Yeah, me too. Uh, the the super, whole, uh, yeah. the everyday oh, <laughs> comment coming in here from Facebook, uh, must be coming from the fan group because we can't see uh, who you are, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. uh, she is the universal translator. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Take that, 3PO. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly motto, f- f- fluent in over six forms of communication. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> that's wicked. Oh, that's that is good. wicked. There's a meme this week for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll put you on that. You're good at making those wicked. I'm on it. Okay. So, uh, as Pelly climbs down the, uh, the ladder fawning over Grogu, she figures that uh, he must be hungry and orders the droids to bring him some dung worms. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. Yummy. Does that not just uh, cement the notion that he literally has an iron stomach? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's <clears throat> run it down. Uh, live frogs, frog mom's eggs, mm-hmm. whatever was in the soup uh, or the, the grog. Those weird blue cookies. Right. He couldn't handle those. No, he at didn't. least one baby spider. It was probably big Oh, that's right. That's right. He ate one of the baby spiders. Kim and I were talking, my wife and I were talking the other day. She's like, yeah, of course he's got an iron stomach. And then she just kind of like completely straight face. She's like, why do you think Yoda chose to hang out, chose to hide on Dagobah? It wasn't for the sure, dark side. I mean, it was because of the menu. <laughs> we first, when we first meet him, he's making Luke some snake stew oh, there. He's got, he's got a live snake in a bowl. <laughs> exactly. The gimmer yeah, sticks Yoda. aren't cutting it. Yoda goes to Dagobah because of the choice menu. Yeah, he became so the good. alpha predator there. <laughs> yeah. So good. That's in the comic. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he well, the in the very comic where he uh very sort of outwardly eschews the the fact that he'll never use a lightsaber again. Oh, turns right. his, the hilt yeah. of his lightsaber into a bow and uses it to hunt. Oh, uh, I think I was aware of that. That's in the newer run, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think okay. I screen capped that and sent it to the group. I think yeah. you did, yeah. yeah. I think we used part of it last week. Yeah, well, yeah we yeah. might have. So R two uh, beeps and whirls that he's in a rush, but Pelly admonishes him, saying, "Like, keep your dome on. I don't care how big of a rush you're in. Baby's got to eat." <laughs> and with the plate of live food writhing in front of him, Grogu hungrily slurps down one of the dung worms, while Pelly looks on like a proud mother. All right. Uh, with another wipe uh, transition, we uh, get another establishing shot uh, over uh, Mos Espa. This time, there is plenty of air traffic, and things look almost normal. And uh, I actually said, this might be the best shot of the city we've ever gotten, like, in a wide sense. Like, yeah. I don't think any of, like, the camera was a little bit lower, maybe a little more focused on the crater, but I mean... It also looks the, like it's from the other side that we've been approaching the city from. Well, the space that, that sort of the canyon the, is in the in the foreground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still on the same side of, of the canyon as the spaceport. I just think we're on, like you say, another angle. Yeah, but yeah. The, the sprawl um, out on the flats. I mean, up top. I mean, yeah. Oh my god. Real big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great He's shot of the city. Spot. Yeah. I'm sure uh, you know they've put far too much. Uh, into this not to see that again which i'm sure we will mm. Many okay. streets to explore oh absolutely i'm wondering yeah. what the rent's like there <laughs> more expensive in the crater uh yeah maybe because <laughs> you get the shade yeah gets uh you know in your real estate your real estate listings morning sun afternoon shade yep. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if it get if they i mean when's the last time it rained on tatooine <laughs> right if you live in a hole would it fill up maybe know. probably not it's too dry all right, back in the sanctuary, Din Djarin keeps a lookout while uh, Fennec Shan briefs the group, uh, which oddly includes the mayor's major domo uh, about the tactical situation. Uh, she says that uh, while they're uh, while they're waiting for Marshal Vanth and the garrison to arrive, their forces are quietly patrolling the city. And because the pikes have yet to arrive in any significant numbers, she posits that uh, it should be easy for them to spot them when they do in fact show up. Uh, and with the truce negotiated by Boba with the other crime families, they should actually have an element of surprise. That shot there, though, 
I half thought we were going to see uh, which shot is uh, that Jennifer Beals' body? Oh, so in the sanctuary? Yeah. Notice there were no bodies. There were no bodies. Yeah, I don't. And so it, I don't know if like they did like a really quick cleanup and uh, proper burial, or or that's just you know explosion was enough. Well, there. That's also an option as well. But the other thing for me is, and I've said this before, it is a Disney property. Yes. Right. It's just, why did we not see the the slaughter of the Tuscans? We didn't need to see that to know that it happened. No. No. Although At the same time, we got we got we have bloody stormtrooper helmets on pikes. Uh, we do, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, dry blood can be misconstrued as dirt. True, yeah, that's true. Maybe chocolate milk. Maybe. Am I stretching it too far? I don't know. <laughs> Is it chocolate? Chocolate. They do. They, milk. Cer- they mm. certainly pick and choose what kind of sort of low key gore or violence they're going. Yeah. To no, you're, you're absolutely right. Selective. But again, yeah. but look at look at what they did in this episode. They they had no compunctions about showing a showing a man straight up slaughter another dude with a spear no it's true you know what i mean like so <clears throat> i don't some know of those bikes no some me. of those bikes are going to need some serious physiotherapy after being backhanded by rancors well, well. They're, <laughs> they're really the one uh, he throws over his shoulder it goes like three blocks oh yeah Crazy. we get there we get the wilhelm out of that one yeah uh yeah i can't imagine that those guys i mean ptsd anybody? <laughs> <laughs> if they survived oh man Okay, so um, where am I at here? Here we go. Uh, transitioning to a long shot of the uh, spaceport, we see that uh, there are several space liners docked here as passengers come and go. Uh, Drash and Scad ride their speeders past the Gamorrean guards as uh, Fennec's voice can be heard uh, continuing her briefing. And she informs us that the Gamorreans are posted in Klaatuinian territory at the spaceport, watching for any new arrivals. And then we see the pair of mods ride past Black Chrysanthemum, who's keeping an eye out uh, out in the streets around city hall. Um, <laughs> no surprise that they planted him deep into Trandoshan territory by himself. Wicked. I mean, if you didn't see the setup <laughs> coming in that one, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going to go well for him. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, finally linking up with the other mods uh, to keep watch over the workers district uh, and the Aqualish quarter. Back at the sanctuary, Fennec continues her briefing, telling Boba that all their flanks are covered and no one will be sneaking up on them. Wrapping it up, she tells the group that when uh, Marshal Vanth and the people of Freetown arrive, they'll have enough forces to be able to pivot anywhere in the city. Stoically, Boba looks looks at Fennec and he answers uh, quite simply, for now. Just then, uh, 8D8 bursts into the room, announcing that there's someone here to see him. Looking back at Fennec, he remarks, I thought you said nobody could sneak up on us. (laughs) Wicked line. With an obvious look of concern, Fennec grabs her helmet, then she and Boba both uh, head outside. Putting his own helmet on, Boba steps onto the street and sees Cad Bane standing less than a block away. The Duros bounty hunter stands perfectly still and slowly lifts his head to look out from under his wide-brimmed hat. Facing his former mentor-turned-rival, Boba rests his arm on top of his carbine, remarking to Cad Bane, I thought I smelled something. If you're looking for a job, you're late. Cad Bane tells him he already has a job, and he's there to negotiate on behalf of the Pike Syndicate. Uh, But derisively, Boba replies, I don't negotiate with gutless murderers. If that's not the quack to call in the stiffling slimy. 
<laughs> which is kind of cool because we talked about this line before because this is not this isn't the first time we've had this line uh in the Mandoverse uh series. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, the the it's like the Star Wars analogy of you know uh the, the, the pot calling the kettle, right? We got it back in uh where did we get it? We got it in uh Mandalorian chapter 16. Uh there's an interaction between Boba and uh Casca Reeves, and it kind of went something like this. I didn't know sidekicks were allowed to talk. It's kind of funny how it's being used on him now in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidentally, though, uh, does that mean that uh, Boba's just a gutless murdering sidekick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you combine them together, he's a gutless murdering sidekick. I don't know. Great. Well, in Cad Bane's eyes, was. you know. Yeah, exactly. That's his view of him. Uh, Boba tells Cad Bane to uh, clear out and tell the Pikes that they're outnumbered. But Bane tells Boba not to count on the people of Freetown coming anytime soon. Continuing, he says that uh, he paid the marshal a visit and uh, with a very sinister sneer adds, you never should have left him without his armor. As the camera draws in on Boba's helmet, it's not hard to imagine that the reality of what Bane just told him is just set in. With tensions high, both Fennec and Mando raise their weapons to cover Boba, but this isn't Cad Bane's first rodeo either, and he reveals that he brought cover shooters as well. Now, in a full standoff, Cad Bane lays out the Pike's ultimatum. Let the spice flow through Mos Espa, and everything can go back to normal. Of course, Boba refuses, saying that uh, he'll only negotiate with the head of the syndicate. And it's then that Cad Bane coldly lays it out for Boba when he says... You mean the one that massacred your Tuscan family and blamed it on a speed bike gang? Oh. Instantly, Boba is drawn back into uh, reliving the memory of the massacre, which is really unfortunate because we got to relive that with him as well. Snapping back to the present, uh, Bane uh, tells him, You know it's true. And Boba reacts by changing his posture taking his resting hand uh, from uh, um, from the top of his carbine, he adopts a low ready position. Seeing what's about to happen, Fennec steps out from what little cover she had in the doorway, purposefully striding towards Boba. She calls out to him in an, t- in an attempt to keep him calm and prevent him from making a fatal mistake. Trying to egg him on, Cad Bane flips back his duster to expose his pistols and beckons Boba, let's settle this right now. Meanwhile, Fennec, trying valiantly to be Boba's voice of reason, says, not now. You pick when. Hearing her words, Boba glances back over his shoulder and says, uh, tells Fennec that Vanth is dead and the reinforcements aren't coming. But Fennec knows that uh, now is the wrong time to strike. She reminds Boba to take the fight to them when it's on his terms. Still riled up from the revelation that the Pikes killed his family, Boba says to Fennec, I can take him, but she's persistent. And she reminds him that he's emotional, still obviously angry. Boba sternly reasserts, I can take him, but Fennec holds fast, insisting that uh, they need to readjust. And she tells Boba, you'll get your moment. Well, that seems to be enough to get through to him because after a few tense seconds, Boba reverts his posture back to uh, resting his left hand on top of the carbine, effectively signaling to Bane that there'd be no fight today. With the tension now broken, 
Boba tells Bane to uh, go back to his employer and tell them that the negotiations are over. Uh, Bane sneers, uh, telling him, you're going soft in your old age. But this is the new Boba Fett, and he remarks, we all do. At that, the two men turn from one another and walk away. Super tense there in that uh, in that sequence. Did anybody think that they were going to go to guns there? Maybe. It was close. I had a hard time deciding if it was going to be now. I mean, yeah, they had to sort of save him for later, but I thought maybe there'd been like a a taste of what's to come. Like, <laughs> I think one of the biggest aspects of this episode was everybody's been sort of talking about how this relates back to the uh, the unfinished animatic. And I mean, even we even talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Still, uh, I think they did it rather well by holding off till later, to be honest. Okay. As soon as Cad Bane is out of sight, the mayor's major domo uh, comes running out from the sanctuary, fawning over Boba about how much restraint he just showed. He tries to offer his unsolicited counsel about what just transpired, but Boba isn't interested, wondering aloud, uh, I wonder how much he'd pay for the Twi'lek. (laughs) Presumably, uh, he means Cad Bane? I would think so. I mean, I don't know who else he's talking about. Maybe it's Cad Bane. All right. Recognizing the uh, tonal shift, the major domo offers his usual patronizing apology, uh, but is quickly interrupted by the chime of uh, Fennec's comm link. It's uh, it's Drash, and she tells him that something feels strange. Boba asks her if the Pikes have arrived yet, and she says, "Not yet, but something feels off." Over in the workers' district, the citizens begin to flee the streets as members of the Aqualish Gatra produce hidden weapons and launch into a sneak attack against the mods. They all fall back, taking cover behind a dumpster, and Drash radios in that the locals are attacking. Back at the sanctuary, a surprised Din Djarin says, I thought we had a treaty. And angrily, Boba answers, so did I. Soon, more Aqualish soldiers pour in and start distributing even more concealed blasters, In the ensuing firefight, one of the mods is gunned down, and a very animated Drash shouts into her comm link that they've laid a trap, one that is now well and truly sprung. Taking the comm link from Fennec, Boba calls Black Chrysanthemum outside of City Hall. Uh, The giant Wookiee still stands a careful watch, but suddenly a woman screams in terror as a pair of Trandoshans pull concealed blades and prepare to charge Chrysanthemum. Taking stock of his surroundings, Santo's eyes dart in every direction. And everywhere he looks, more Trandoshans draw blades in preparation of the melee that's about to commence. This is all kind of, I should say, this is all sort of happening simultaneously. And uh, uh, while it plays really well from a visual standpoint, it's a writing nightmare when you're trying to <laughs> bounce back and forth. Just, just to put that out there. But I digress. Uh, meanwhile, over at the spaceport, uh, a departing train reveals a mob of Klatuinians standing armed at the ready with blades and pole arms. One of the guards uh, calls Boba as he and his counterpart prepare to defend themselves. Just a note on this sequence. I, I put this out earlier this week. I actually thought, oh, I want to talk about missed opportunities again. I thought that building up in the top right corner of this slide might have actually been the, uh, the, the racetrack, you know, where the grandstand was. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's obviously not, but I'm like, that makes so much sense. If you're talking about a, an intergalactic racing circuit where you're got, you've got people coming in from everywhere. 
you put it next to the spaceport. It also happens to, it's a major transportation hub for uh, off world and a train station right there. But no, sadly not. And we did not revisit the grand, uh, the grandstand uh, uh, next season. Maybe next season. Maybe there'll be another pod race. Maybe that'd be cool. He'll get to watch over it. Uh, maybe. Okay. In a simultaneous attack, both Chrysanthemum and the Gamorians are overwhelmed. Despite gunning down a, a few of his assailants, uh, the Trandoshans overwhelmingly outnumber Santo and through sheer numbers and brute force take him to the ground in a reptilian dog pile. Sadly, the Gamorians fare much worse as the Klaatuinians poke and prod at them, forcing them backwards and over the edge of the Mos Espa crater where they fall hundreds of feet, presumably to their death. Sort of the only cringe-worthy moment for me in all all seven episodes. What's that? Those, those well, just those gamors. Like we've seen, we've seen them like wipe the floor with people. Well, I I kind of felt the same way that they yeah. were so. <clears throat> that was an underwhelming death for those cats. I thought they it really they, was. They, they, they were outstanding. Uh, Look at how well they saved the day. When, right. Uh, yeah. When and it's meant to be. Yeah. It's meant to reinforce the tragedy of the day for sure. Oh but, my uh, gosh! Yeah, they yeah, could yeah. have had a, a bit more noble death in the same time. That is all. Of just getting. Oh yeah, off. yeah, yeah. Eric says uh, they actually managed to make us care about Gamorians uh, when we said we would. When pigs fly. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Uh, fair enough. They didn't fly very well. I, I still gotta <laughs> wonder though, like when AD8 introduced them. Remember what he said about them? He said uh, they were loyal to their uh, to to, to Bib Fortuna. Do we think that these guys are holdovers from uh, Jabba's days? Yeah. Like, are these the same guys? Could we have seen these guys in Return of the Jedi? Possibly. Well, they lost a bit of weight. I was going to say, well, they were much heavier back then. <clears throat> yeah. Well, under Jabba's watch, you know, everything was, food was rolling. That's but maybe true. under Bib's watch, they didn't get as much. So they thinned oh, out. That out. could also be true. Yeah. That could also be true. Got to fight for your food more. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there were several, too. And, you know, one got eaten by the Rancor. That's right. I think Several the idea we saw uh, there were Gamorians up on the on the sail barge. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. it's one of them. Yeah. Maybe they had to walk a real long way home <laughs> with Max Rebo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Car- carrying Max Rebo. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, and the uh, not the what the hell you call it the uh, the the red ball jet organ. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> with the realization that the uh, truce is broken. And they're now dealing with a coordinated attack. Boba tells Fennec that they need to gather their forces, but he knows that there's no way to overcome the Pike's advantage and says that, uh, or sorry, Fennec knows there's no way to overcome the Pike's advantage. And she says that uh, they need to take out the command and control. Turning to the major Domo, uh, Boba asks if the Pikes still operate out of Mos Eisley. The Twi'lek tries to be evasive with his answer, but uh, when Fennec cocks her rifle, he quickly changes tune, blurting out, uh, yes, uh, yeah, they do. More specifically, out of the Desert Survey Office. And Boba asks Fennec, can you do it? Can you get there in time? Slinging her rifle and rushing out the door, she turns back, it's worth a shot. Outside, Fennec leaps onto a parked speeder bike and guns it, tearing off as fast as it will go. And uh, actually, I kind of like this design. It, it's a, it's not really a design we've really seen before. It's a, kind of a twist on the Endor model. Well, I kind of thought maybe it was more evocative of some of the concept art that we'd seen from uh, Macquarie, like some of the stuff that they were working on for 
Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I know Boxy knows like Ray's speeder too. I know a lot of that stuff made its way into uh, into Star Wars Rebels, but uh, one thing I did pick up, and maybe it's just me, uh, that handlebar, uh, how close it was to her, it really reminded me of the original Kenner toy, that little spring-loaded clip Are that you, would hold in the legs under. That would hold, yeah, that would yeah. hold the figure right onto it. Wicked. So I kind of thought that was a neat little thing. All right. Um, back in the workers' district, the mods continue their, uh, to exchange fire with the advancing Aqualish. Drash asks uh, Scad how many he thinks are there, and he can't tell for certain. He estimates that it's at least a dozen. She then radios in to say that uh, they can't withdraw because they're pinned down, and much to her dismay, a stern Fennec Shan tells her to stay put and keep your heads down. And with extreme precision, several Aqualish are suddenly taken down by sniper fire, uh, which apparently is enough to make the rest of them break contact and uh, make a run for it. From the top of the building, just behind the mods, Fennec emerges from cover, and both she and the mods share a silent moment of recognition. Dropping down to street level and uh, mounting her speeder bike, Fennec orders the mods to get to the sanctuary. But before she speeds away, Drash offers her a sincere thanks. Fennec tugs down at the visor of her helmet and with a smile says, Manners, I like it. Adding, you're welcome, before she quickly speeds away. Outside of the sanctuary, several pikes move in and take up firing positions. Some of them are on the rooftops and others behind cover offered by the outcroppings on either sides of the street. Mando announces they're here. And Boba Fett asks uh, if Cad Bane is with them. Mando tells him uh, he doesn't see him and then asks if there's uh, any news on the others. Boba says that uh, he'd be surprised if any of them survived, adding that all the Gotras have turned on them. Mando tells him it was the smart move for them to make. While nodding in agreement, Boba answers, it was. That's a line right out of Godfather 2 as well. It's the smart uh, move. Well, I mean, and really, even if, if you stripped out the Godfather reference altogether... It legitimately is. Yeah. I mean, they, it was alluded to what the, when the hut showed up, it's, you know, would just prefer let your enemies tear themselves apart. Totally made sense. All right. Uh, uh, Figuring now uh, would be a good time for Mando to leave. Boba is surprised when Mando tells him that uh, he's staying, adding that it would be against the creed. And when Boba asks him, you really buy into that Bantha fodder? Uh, Mando offers a sincere, I do. And surprisingly, Boba answers him with, good. Which, and it is surprising, because it's like, I equate it to the the whole analogy of uh, nobody's an atheist in the foxhole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With that out of the way, Mando tells uh, Boba that uh, he sees things going down in one of two ways. Well, they can either hold up where they are right now and wait for the Pikes to launch a siege, or they can go out guns blazing and make a run for Boba's ship at the palace. But Boba tells him that uh, he can't abandon the people of Mos Espa because they're counting on him. While resolved to their fate, Mando says, okay, then we'll both die in the name of honor. Then for the second time, Boba offers Mando a way out when he says, Sure you want to stay? This is the way. 
Now, I don't normally get all kind of like misty and metaphoric about this stuff. And I've actually, and I, I, I've been on the record as saying that if Mando makes a sincere overture to fall back into that religious dogma, that it would undo uh, some of his character development. But I have to say, for the first time in the entire Mandovers, this is the first time that that line has been uttered where, to me, it didn't come across as religious dogma, that there was something more behind it. There was a more of a, a, an emotional investment, I think. No Mandalorian left behind. Well, the fact that they have a connection together, like, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to stay with you until we get the kid back. And it, yeah. it, yes, it's re- repaying a favor. Hence, the whole thing is free, but it's more than that. I think this is maybe more of that that evolution of what the Mandalorian creed is or what it will be when one of them becomes Mandalore. Not the first time I'm going to say that, by the way, evolution (laughs) of the way. Yeah. The evolution. Right. Okay. Resolved to their fate, Mando and Boba stand ready to launch out the door, but suddenly the fast talking major Domo throws his hands up and begs to offer an alternative. Taking Boba's silence as an acceptance of his offer, the Twi'lek verbal, uh, the Twi'leks verbal diarrhea is his way into a diatribe about completing finishing school on Coruscant and specializing in civic council negotiations. Feeling pretty confident that if he were allowed to negotiate on Boba's behalf, that they could be allowed passage off world with a symbolic uh, groveling gesture and, of course, some kind of payoff. Um, <laughs> the Major Domo. At first, what do you guys actually, sorry, let me, let me think about this for a second. Compared to when he was introduced or how he was introduced, how do you feel about him now? <laughs> Anything um, to save his own neck. Yes. Yeah. yeah I agree. He's, I really like him because he's, he's very unlikable. He's super unlikable. Yeah, he's super smarmy. The word is smarmy. I deal with smarmy. people like him all the time in yeah. construction. Honestly, <laughs> the heads of companies, very the, smarmy. It's the kind of guy that will swear at you, but smile while he's swearing. Oh, while they're doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the end of the episode, I, I love him. I think he's I, great. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the relationship thing. There, Me too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm glad you say that. That means I'm not the only one who, yeah, yeah. Uh, who picked up on that. Cause I thought maybe there was something going on there as well. Yeah. Maybe he'll change his ways for her. Well, yeah. I mean, there's. He he's totally always, wears the pants um, in that one. <laughs> smarmy, uh, patronizing. I mean, everything he says is patronizing right. to some right. degree, right? Like, there's just no like. Can you just cut the crap? Like, I don't think he's capable of doing it. No, no. So no. Pelly, Pelly's going to sort him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, unexpectedly, Boba agrees with him, and uh, the major domo. Let's see if I got this. I think I've got it. Um. The major domo uh, can't hide the look of shock. Boba takes the the major domo's tablet, telling him that uh, he'll write out his statement and the details of uh, what he's willing to pay. Excited at the development, uh, the Twi'lek boasts of uh, how he will go as Boba's emissary to grovel on his behalf and save Boba from a bruised ego. After he's finished writing, Boba shoves the tablet back into his hands and orders him to go before I change my mind. <laughs> all right 
Announcing that uh, he's unarmed, the Major Domo heads out to face the Pike forces and announce Boba's terms of surrender. But the head Pike is far less tolerant than Boba of the Twi'lek and bluntly orders him, read it. But this is the Twi'lek's time to shine uh, and is patronizingly uh, tells the Pike how much he would love to see the obsidian cliffs of Obadiah. But the Pike wants none of it and for the second time says, read it. Dispensing with the pleasantries, the Major Domo takes up his tablet and begins to read the treaties contained within. I, Boba Fett, etc., etc., make the following offer. Well, suddenly, the Major Domo's expression changes to something more akin to uh, scared shitless. <laughs> uh, and he can't bring himself to continue reading the words in front of him. Looking back over his shoulder at the sanctuary, he swallows a couple of times, then quickly changes gears, suggesting that the Pike discusses what he is willing to do. <laughs> well, and then for the third and uh, uh, third and final time, uh, he says, "Read it." Following offer, nothing. Uh, you will leave this planet and your spice trade. If you refuse these terms, <clears throat> the arid sands of Tatooine will once again flourish with flowered fields fertilized with the bodies of your dead. <laughs> third, imagine? third Godfather reference. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the, the note that says, here's my offer. Oh, Nothing. right, 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 right. Yeah. I really should. <laughs> I should really get caught up on those because I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of the references here, but... Uh, Imagine being him and, and being in that situation, and uh, suddenly, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> you gotta hope that they they adhere to the "don't shoot the messenger" adage. <laughs> how much how much tone do you think he has right now? Like, <laughs> right, and all I keep thinking in my head is, "This is Sparta." <laughs> like this guy's dead right now. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I know. I thought it too. I'm like, oh well, so much for him. He was great while he lasted, and right. now he's yeah. going out, but. Uh, no, in fact, he doesn't. Um, the Pike, absolutely. The Pikes, by the way, who are now like completely dumbfounded by what they heard because they're like staring at each other. They turn back to the Major Domo and the, the leader just silently raises up his blaster. Well, the Major Domo, uh, now well and truly knee deep in the Bantha Poodoo, makes one last overture to uh, save himself by reminding the Pikes that uh, his words. <laughs> <laughs> not, not mine, mine. <laughs> but before the pike can pull the trigger a blaster bolt rains down from above killing him on the spot the major domo who's now caught completely off guard looks to the sky and sees a very unanticipated sight but recognizing it for what it is he seizes the opportunity to bolt back into the cover of the sanctuary's doorway and of course what he does see Boba Fett and Din Djarin erupting from behind the sanctuary on their jetpacks, blasting pikes left and right. Now, the pikes are caught completely off guard, and they lose several fighters uh, in the opening seconds of the surprise aerial attack. But it doesn't take too long for them to regain their footing and then train their weapons skyward, forcing the two armored warriors to change their tactics and drop to the street. Circling each other, Boba and Mando continue their dance of death, dropping pikes with nearly every blaster shot. But for every pike they kill, it seems like two more crawl out of the woodwork to replace them. 
as the opposition mounts. Boba takes a round uh, to his carbine, knocking it from his hands, causing him to fall. But uh, getting back to one knee, he unleashes a rocket, dropping yet another pike. Switching to his pistol, Boba gets back to his feet as he and the Mandalorian go back to back and circle like a spinning top, blasting anything and everything that moves. It's the, the Butch and Sand- Sundance uh, Butch scene. and Sundance, yeah. For sure. Uh, but it's not long before both men start taking a very effective fire, and while it doesn't penetrate their armor, it does jar them considerably. With pike reinforcements arriving by the second, and uh, the incoming blaster fire continually escalating, both men start getting hit with more frequency. Uh, we've talked about the idea that uh, Din Djarin is a blaster magnet. Maybe it rubs <laughs> off on the people near to I was going to say, yeah, apparently it's uh, transmissible. <laughs> <laughs> Something in the best car. Maybe. Uh, where was I here? Oh, yeah. Mandalorian uh, takes a shot to the back and he goes down. Uh, but Boba stands over him, unleashing another knee rocket. Uh, while same simultaneously uh, returning fire with his pistol uh, in this like crazy, like one legged flourish knee up, like, uh, like almost like a Vegas dance move, I guess. I don't know how to call mm-hmm. that. Mando quickly shaking out the cobwebs uh, gets back to a crouch and he lets loose a full salvo of whistling birds. Boba then follows suit, letting off one of his larger wrist rockets. And with Mando finally back on, onto his feet, Boba says that uh, tells him what he already knows. They just keep coming. Now, taking hits to their armor at an alarming rate, the situation turns dire when both Boba and Mando get knocked down several times each. Um, All the while, the Pike forces are continuing to advance. But then, out of nowhere, one of the Pikes is dropped by an unseen attacker. Both uh, Boba and Mando's heads are on a swivel looking for another shooter. And both men can't believe their eyes when a contingent of citizens from Freetown roll in on a modified V-35 Courier land speeder. The speeder is decked out like a pickup truck, and it's uh, packed full of fighters, with the weakway bartender manning a top-mounted gun turret. Rolling right through the Pike forces, they rally behind Boba and Mando, and using the speeder for cover, the reinforcements quickly dismount and join the fight. Uh... V-35 Courier. Man, uh, I, this is, I think, the first time we've seen it decked out like a truck. Yeah, sure. But Attack this thing's the Clones got, was uh, really sleek, right? Like, it looked like a, some, almost like a cab. Uh, it's got some lineage. And uh, actually, I uh, went in here and I, I pulled some images here. The V-35 uh, Courier made its first appearance back in 1977. Actually got uh, made it in, into A New Hope uh, twice as it is both um, seen in Moss Eisley, it just also happens to be the Lars family speeder, but we only ever saw the nose uh, in the garage when Luke was playing with his, uh, his T-16 uh, model. I put the years up here, not in uh, years that we saw them on screen, but uh, in years in Star Wars continuity. So, I mean, the earliest, uh, earliest continuity appearance puts them at uh, 22 BBY. That's during, uh, that's actually right from Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Then we see them again at uh, four BBY b- uh, before the Battle of Yavin for the un- uh, uninitiated. Uh, four BBY from uh, Star Wars Rebels and then uh, zero BBY. That's uh, the year the Death Star went boom uh, twice, as I said. And then we do see this one. Uh, and I, I think it's actually the same, the same prop. Uh, that's from uh, the Mandalorian from the the flashback when the mining guild 
uh, came in and took over. Because mm-hmm. there's Cobb Vanth kind of hiding behind it as he, I took what I could. I grabbed a Camtono and uh, mm-hmm. took off. Camtono. Camtono. By the Cam-tono. way, by the way, for all you Star Wars, the Black Series collectors, uh, six inch, you're going to get a Camtono here very soon because the client was just yes. showing off. The client is coming. He's going to come with a Camtono. I wonder, will it open? Uh, yes, it does open. Nice. And I think there are some Beskar ingots in it as well. Oh, so. wicked. Yeah, we'll see what that's like when it comes out. There are some uh, Beskar ingots with uh, one of the uh, deluxe Mandos. There's like yeah. three, or, yeah, yeah, three yeah. or four different styles. There was also a... Um, uh, there was also a like a prop set that came out. I GameStop had a, a, a year maybe when. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There were actual yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? A cell phone case? And like, no, no, they're actually it's a prop uh, bar. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, when a well placed shot by one of the pikes destroys the speeder's gun turret, the weak way is forced to abandon ship. Both uh, Boba and Mando duck behind the speeder and join the reinforcements. A few more pikes advance toward uh, toward the sanctuary and then quickly duck into an outcropping. Taking a, a tactical pause, Mando turns to the weak way and tells him that uh, he's sorry about the marshal. And the bartender says he was gunned down in cold blood. Mando tells him uh, the people of Freetown didn't have to come here, but the weak way insists that yes, they did because the planet deserves better. Racing down the street parallel with the sanctuary, the mods then roll in on their bikes. It's a welcome distraction as Scad distracts some of the pikes while he blasts them on his way by. But taking a fatal hit to his speeder, he's thrown from the bike and tumbles to the ground. But Drash swoops in right behind him to help him up, and the two take cover behind the courier. As the rest of the mods roll in behind them, Boba asks Drash uh, if she's all right, and she tells him... uh, it got pretty hairy back there and she does not, she can't even make eye contact with him. Like she looks like she's pretty messed up. Scad then asks where'd all these sand scurriers come from. And then one of the Freetown fighters, uh, one of the women shoots back and says, we're uh, here to say the tales of some city rats, which I thought was a nice little playful banter. Boba turns to them both and says, uh, save it for the pikes. Suddenly, a ferocious roar can be heard from down a nearby side street. Then we see a pair of pikes go flying through the air. <laughs> and uh, out from that side street, uh, uh, limps Black Chrysanthemum. Now he's carrying a pike on his shoulder. And there's a second one who's trying to wrestle his uh, rifle out of his hands. A Santo body slams the pike from his shoulder and turns and bats the other, uh, the other one, shooting him midair. Uh, and then he lands in a heap. That was a great shot, by the way. So satisfying. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Making his way toward uh, the cover of the speeder, Santo drags his wounded leg, and uh, several pikes take aim at him. While, uh, while, uh, while he is able to gun some of them down, a number of the pikes' blaster shots do find their mark, and eventually he goes down in the middle of the street. But Boba yells to the rest of his forces, Cover me! And then he and Mando both rush out into the street uh, to collect the injured Wookiee. Dragging Santo back to the relative cover of the speeder, Boba offers him a heartfelt welcome back before confessing uh, he thought he was dead. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I actually had no, I had no th- hope that he was coming back. I thought after the, the, 
ripping the Trandoshan's arm off in the sanctuary, I thought we're never going to see this character again. Uh, you're going to need him in the second season. Uh, that way, when he meets uh, Han Solo and Chewie, you know, it'll <laughs> balance out. Oh, so we can have a Wookiee throwdown? There you go. Oh, yeah. that'll be cool. That would be cool. And then who are you cheering see, for, though? My theory is that the reason we didn't see any of the, the, the bounty hunters we wanted to see this year is because they're going to be coming after Boba Fett one at a time or maybe sure sinister six style next year oh yeah yeah, yeah. and um i'm thinking the that bosk and black crescent and have some issues uh, <laughs> oh yes that would be so cool yeah so that's gonna be cool yeah all right so um <laughs> Boba offers him a heartfelt welcome back, and before confessing that he thought he was dead, he then offers Santo a long soak in the bank to tank in the back to tank when all of this is over. He's gonna have to invest in a couple more of those. Uh, well, if he's gonna <laughs> offer it to Santo, he's got to get one that's maybe a little longer. Suddenly, the shooting stops, and the weakway bartender shouts that they're pulling back. And as the last few pikes make a run for it, the defenders all begin to cheer, but an ominous thumping noise can be heard in the distance. And Mando activates his helmet sensors. At the end of the street, behind the buildings, he can see a very large heat signature in the form of a hulking quadrupedal droid armed with a pair of large cannons for arms walking towards them. He blurts out, uh, I wouldn't celebrate yet. We got problems. As the hulking droid lumbers toward them, uh, now in full sight of everyone, a second unit trundles out from a nearby side street to join its counterpart. Oh, well, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I saw these things and went like, cause I wasn't really up on the, the, the legends aspect of these. Right. My, my first impression was somebody loves Terminator. Like to me, it was a, Oh, these are hunter killer tanks. Only they walk with a little Hal 9,000 sprinkled in. <laughs> first but impression I like was, them. uh, Destroyer droids from episode one on steroids. Well, so yeah, you so are I went right to the, the score counters because of that. Yeah, you are definitely not. You know, speaking of that, you know how many times in in uh, writing the notes, I I went to write Scorponek and I wrote Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion. Right. Yeah, Scorponok. I'm a big Transformers fan, by the Scorpinor. way. So that that <laughs> made its way in there. Serpentor, whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, but as we've said now, we as we've established, and Pelly will doesn't tell us until much much later in the episode that these are in fact what is referred to as a Scorponek, Scorponek Annihilator droid. Right. So they're um, they're a Legends droid uh, based on an unused Attack of the Clones concept art. They do also resemble concept art for what, as you say, Andy, reminded you of Droidicas. They were based on the same artwork. Now, in-universe, they are actually uh, built by a, a race called the Colacoids. And uh, no surprise, you know, in thine own image, that the uh, the Colacoids are a sort of a chitinous, uh, scorpion-like race with four limbs. Uh, and you can see the family resemblance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Kulakoids, uh, actually, for those of you who are not, uh, again, who didn't know, or maybe maybe you don't care, maybe you do, the Kulakoids also built the droid Tri-Fighter and uh, the Pistoika Sabotage droid, better known, you would know them as the Buzz droid, hmm. having that central eye, right, which is a, is a common theme on all of their droid models, but also uh, Clone Wars fans, if you remember... You remember the Trident assault ship? It looked like a giant squid. Yes. It was an aquatic ship. 
Um, so they also built that as well. I wonder if they do the pit droids because the pit droids also have that central eye. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Colocoids, I, I was vaguely A little bit invid of... to me too. I, that wasn't oh. lost on me too. They, no, similar. Really in, invid vibes. Colocoids uh, have made their way into the various editions of the RPG. I've I've never tried to play as one, but uh, <laughs> they are they are a playable species for those of you who are interested. <laughs> okay, so uh, moving towards the ragtag band, the two Scorponek droids each activate an omnidirectional energy shield, much like their smaller droidica uh, cousins. Uh, blasting at them uh, proves futile as the bolts dissipate harmlessly against the shield and the droids just keep advancing completely unhindered. So dropping the range finder on his helmet, Boba takes aim with his jetpack missile. And uh, I couldn't help. I had to put a shot of that in there. Anybody out there who is of the appropriate age or, or toy collectors out there uh, have the 12 inch Kenner Boba Fett <laughs> where you could look, yeah, you could look down through his, his, uh, the twelve inch, uh, you could look through the helmet. Oh, the twelve inch, little... yeah, yeah, yeah. You could look right through it. That's right. Uh, so that I, I had a, a, thing. a six million dollar man, Steve Austin, had the toy. same feature. Did, he, you did could look Steve, through the back of his head, and did it would Steve magnify. have the? Did Steve have the reticle, like the actual crosshairs in his eye? No, so his eye was just a, a magnifying glass. Yeah, and yeah, you'd yeah. look through the hole in the back of his head, and it would magnify slightly. Oh, okay. That's what fair. you were seeing. You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. The Boba Fett one kind of made things. It was almost like Wally vision where things kind of like got like really elongated, like, right, right, like right. Kind of far away. So, I mean, probably if you're playing with cheap plastic that was warped, maybe, right? Like, maybe I find my stormtrooper helmet gives me a little bit of like, oh, when I wear it too long <laughs> because of the curvature of the lenses, right? Right. Oh, okay. Fair car enough. sickness. <laughs> I know my Luke Skywalker, uh, uh, X Wing pilot helmet doesn't do that, but the, the the visor rests on my bridge of my nose, and that's really uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. All right. I just want to bring this up now. I know I've got a I've got a note about it here somewhere, but I don't know where it is. So I'm gonna bring it up right now. Can we talk about uh like what is it with Star Wars and Shields? Can we just talk about Shields and Star Wars for a minute? Because some have them, some don't. Some have, some don't. We have we have shields that let stuff out, but don't let stuff in. Then we have ray shields, which keep everything in, and then nothing gets in. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it's just weird. Sometimes I feel like it's contradictory. Other times it's like, oh, okay. These these particular shields seem very consistent with the, sort of the uh, the droid deca stuff. And They're absolutely consistent. Very with consistent with the personal force fields that are used in the Battlefront Two video yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because one of the legends references for them actually says, uh, the, the battle of, of Kola, the part of the reason, I guess it's a legends thing. Uh, the, the Kolokoids, although they sided with the Confederacy, they never really did get into the war, but there was apparently an attack on their home world and all of the Scorponek droids had not really been deployed at that point. So they were right. on Kola, but apparently what they did was they parked a bunch of destroyers um inside the shield of the of the scorpionek and they all shot out from that hmm. but as you say like super consistent with that i i had heard in legends too uh some of my they're kind of like handrails <laughs> some have them some don't yeah some yeah. have them some yeah right but you um, know railings save lives. Railing save lives. Yeah. i i had read that in legends and uh, there were fewer of a hundred of these left in production yeah 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 
All right. So, I mean, that's going to come up later on because the, the shield thing is, is sort of, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of the episode, really. Yeah. It's a big part of this fight. It's fundamentally different than the, the Gungan shields. Cause that's what I thought it was very based on. At so first. did but I. When Din can't move through it at slow speeds, right. it's very different then. Well, see, that's the contradictory part for me because he's, he makes a point. Maybe they just shouldn't have like, to me, it would have been better. Don't say anything at all say nothing at all. But as soon as you throw out the line, our energy weapons can't get through and our kinetic weapons have too much velocity. Right. My mind immediately goes to, well, the entire lead element of the, the droid army walked through the Gungan shield. Right. So just don't say anything at all. It just might not. I mean, he, he's, and we're going to get there in a sec, but he's swinging pretty hard with the thing, but maybe if he just pushed gently through, well, I mean, and, and then we're going to get there with Santo where he kind of, uh, he almost gets through. He, he almost does. gets through. But I mean, that roar, do you think that there's maximum effort for him to try, trying to push yeah, through, see, right? Like he was using yeah. that, the, the, his uh, electro knuckles or whatever they're called there too at the same yeah, time. Yeah, so. yeah. so maybe that was like a feedback thing. Maybe it was actually hurting him trying to push through. I don't so know. Maybe it's the same type of shield they used on Starkiller base where you can only get through if say you're going at light speed. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, shielding <laughs> shields have become this big thing. I know it's a big thing in Star Trek, you know, like polarize the shields and shield harmonics and we can tune our phasers to penetrate. Yeah. But Star Wars has always sort of deviated from that sort of convention the of, polarity. Right. They just, we don't really do that. It's more of the, the analogy I saw today was, uh, you know, do shields have hit, hit points? And well, I'm see, like, yeah, that's a good analogy. I, I kind of, well, and and it's it's sort of fundamentally different from the shields we got in the original trilogy, which were yeah. referred to as deflector screens. Deflector screens, and yes. you could you could you could uh, as per the uh, X Wing tie game, you could double yeah. front. Double uh, front. But remember, we used to be able, to, and especially even squadrons, uh, you can yep. toggle. You know, you can put some. You know, you're flying away from the enemy. You can throw your you shields throw double back, back, double double front. You can maximize their. You know, well, so that even. Space. So that's kind of neat that concept uh, isn't fully abandoned because we actually see a visual representation of that in the episode when right. we get to the, the, the back of the, the one droid. It goes Failing, red. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody out there didn't get that. Like, Oh, the back is weak now. Yeah, that's right. 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 Okay. Well, let's get back to it and we can, we can talk about it as it comes up, but just wanted to get shake out the shield argument and get that out of the way. Thank you for entertaining me on that one. Okay. So, um, <laughs> with the Scorponek droid now at uh, near point blank uh, point blank uh, range, the missile makes a devastating impact and it produces a huge fireball. But when the smoke clears, the droid is still advancing unscathed. It's kind of an Independence Day moment. Uh, very much so. Drop the nuke and it's still flying at you. Uh, pulls yeah. A, pulls yeah, a Luke yeah. Skywalker there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still standing there. <laughs> <laughs> Then it's the true the two droids turn, and with just a couple of rounds from the arm cannons, uh, the blasts begin to tear through the speeder and the sanctuary, sending debris raining everywhere. Now, with their cover effectively compromised, Boba orders his forces to run while he and the Mandalorian attempt to distract the two droids. But the lead droid drops low to the ground and digs in its hind legs and simultaneously unleashes all four barrels. Uh, all sorry, all 
yeah, all four barrels at the speeder, breaking its back and utterly destroying it. With the speeder now uh, nothing but scrap metal, Boba and Mando take to the air. The distraction seems to be working as uh, Boba now presents himself as a target by landing between the droid and his retreating forces. Uh, with a rocket-assisted leap from his jetpack, he narrowly avoids getting blasted by one of the Scorpion X cannons. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody who's ever played a video game, <laughs> anybody who's ever played a video game ever, like, ooh, I got a jet, I can, like, little boosts. Why don't they do that more often? Oh, well, it's the experience factor. Boba knows what he's doing. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Mando's still relatively new to the jetpack. Yeah, he's only like, what, uh, uh, one year's on the jetpack? Around that, yeah. <laughs> if we take a season to be a year, I don't know. Who if knows? they work like they do in the game, too, like speaking of video games, if they work like that, then they probably got to, and then recharge time. Yeah, so. recharge, for sure, recharge. Yeah. All right, so uh, taking up his uh, carbine, Boba blasts away at the droids, which still obviously has no effect. Uh, But while Boba works the front of the droid, Mando then drops in on the backside, trying out his flamethrower, and that too is less than useless. So uh, trying a different approach, Mando ignites the Darksaber. Did I miss that? Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Okay. Mando unleashes the, uh, oh, what did I do here? Nope, I skipped over a line. Sorry, my bad. With uh, Boba's forces in full retreat, both droids focus their attention on the two armored warriors. Seeing the second droid turn about, Mando jetpacks over the first one to link up with Boba. Did you get the impression that he slid down the backside? That he actually made contact with the shield and with the bubble? Down? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I kind of thought it was like, we kind of slid down, but. And I mean, there, right there you go, like, he. Otherwise, like the Gungan shields, he would have fell through it. Well, that's it. He's probably moving slow enough to do right. Bloop. Right. Uh, where am I? Okay, here we go. Trying a different approach, uh, Mando ignites the dark saber and makes uh, several swings at the droid, but each one bounces off harmlessly. Turning to Boba, Mando says that their energy weapons can't get through, and their kinetic weapons have too much velocity. Boba posits the droids could destroy the entire city if they're not stopped. He turns to Mando, asking if uh, he can protect the others. Mando says that he can distract the droids for a spell. When Boba says that they need reinforcements, Din reminds him that uh, he's all out of friends right now. But Boba shouts, protect the others, and suddenly rockets away, seemingly abandoning the fight. Now, did anybody think that he was just turning tail? No. I thought he was going to get Tusken Raiders. Well, I really didn't think at that point. I thought he's going to go grab a bunch of Tusken Raiders or, or or the the slave slave one. one. I got to admit things were happening so fast. I I had forgot about the Rancor. (sighs) I really really did. That never occurred to me till I saw it. And then I went, Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, now we've, we've watched it a couple of times. So now you kind of, kind of do the whole like, Oh, I couldn't imagine happening any other way, but At that moment, I'm like, slave one to come in real handy right now. I mean, I know they weren't gonna they weren't gonna flee the planet with it, but I no. mean, in terms of like uh, when they said, does Boba have any other resources available to him? Uh, he's got a, a gunship, a, a police grade, a military grade gunship right. that he didn't use. But uh, <clears throat> you know, just I mean, s- hey, everybody get to 
100 meters and he drops one of those bombs there and then there's a nice, one of the seismic charges nice round glass wow. in the middle of boss espa <laughs> but at the same time right he was concerned about destroying the city he was so concerned about true. destroying the city should have kept a tighter leash on his rancor right right <laughs> collateral damage yeah exactly okay well then um with boba now gone mando suddenly becomes the primary target of both droids and the lead droid pivots to uh, track him, and uh, Mando makes a run for it to get past both of them. Now, the saving grace here is that uh, these droids, with their active shields, are so big that they nearly fill the entire street, which makes it difficult for one to shoot around the other. But as Mando passes the second one, he catches a near miss uh, from one of its arm cannons, which knocks him forward. But deftly, uh, Mando rolls with it and comes up on his feet and dashes behind what's left of the courier speeder. And with Mando now out of sight, the lead Scorponek droid goes back to targeting the fleeing forces, while the second one turns to join it. Mando wheels out to the middle of the street and harassingly blasts at the rear of the droid in an attempt to gain its attention. And uh, the droid is definitely interested as it begins to pivot back toward him, while Mando now runs in the opposite direction of everyone else. <laughs> Pretty smart, I'll try and take one of them with me. Now, while the remnants of Fett's forces continue to flee, the Scorponek droid pursues them relentlessly, bringing up the uh, the rear. Black Chrysanthemum, who's still limping on his injured leg, uh, ducks into an archway, allowing the droid to catch up. And once that droid gets parallel with him, the Wookiee unloads a barrage of fire from his heavy blaster rifle. But uh, the droid doesn't really seem interested, instead uh, continuing its focus on the larger number of targets in front of it. So, uh, pressing his hand up against the droid's shield, Santo attempts to push his way through. This, however, does get the droid's attention, uh, as it immediately swivels back toward him and knocks him back with one of its legs before continuing its uh, steady advance. So, yeah, I mean, uh, man, he might have gotten through. I mean, that to me, it looks like there's a there's a finger poking through there. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, <laughs> it was very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have been a whole different battle if he'd gotten through that. Uh, and there's the other thing. One of the criticisms came up this week about uh, about him uh, needing to be helped up when the, uh, you know, being wounded and, and Boba and Din having to pull him in. And then there's like the next scene, he's running down the road like nothing's wrong. Eh, adrenaline kick. Yeah, that's, it seemed obvious to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When when he got to Boba and Din Djarin, though, like, you know, his previous adrenaline rush had worn off he just needed absolutely i mean breath. uh, uh seconds come running and it's like okay time to go the old concept of a second wind you know right like, uh, yeah uh, you know the biology is an amazing thing and when There's you understand ebbs, how ebbs it works, and flows to combat yeah, yeah absolutely well i mean uh, uh as somebody who's who's been in combat uh yeah it's i've seen people do things that are almost superhuman like when it really matters and so for me it's no surprise that uh when it mattered he's able to perform in short bursts eventually though it'll catch up with you mm-hmm. all right um uh, fortunately for santo uh, both drash and scad had fallen back as well and then they rush in to help him back to his feet suddenly three pikes rush out from an alleyway firing wildly toward them Santo shakes off the two mods' help as he raises his rifle. 
Seeing what's about to happen, Drash and Scad join the firing line, and together the three of them gun down the pikes. There's the big, uh, the big cowboy flourish moment that uh, everybody's making fun right, of. Right, right. Did he? Did he have to do it? No. Did it's it probably look in cool? the script? Did it look cool? Oh hell yeah! It looked great. <laughs> Come on. I have no trouble with that whatsoever. No way. Okay. Uh, where am I at here? Uh, now with the immediate threat of the pikes eliminated, Santo is once again overcome by his injuries and does take the shoulders of the mods as they trudge off to catch up with the rest of the fighters. Well, meanwhile, uh, Mando continues to evade the other droid as he, uh, as he weaves, uh, between moisture vaporators and, uh, anything else on the street that can be used to cover, Citizens are panicking and fleeing at the uh, approaching uh, droid uh, cannon fire. And when Mando rounds a corner, he runs smack dab into a rickshaw droid carrying none other than uh, Peli Motto and her pit droid crew, who uh, coincidentally have come to Mos Espa apparently looking for him. Mm-hmm. Not interested in uh, talking, Mando yells at Peli, turn around! And initially, she doesn't quite get it. But when the Scorponek droid rounds the corner with guns blazing, it becomes all too clear. And in a sheer panic, she then orders the rickshaw, turn around! (laughs) And as the rickshaw droid pulls away, Amanda was able to jump on the back and catch a ride. With the uh, Scorponek droid in hot pursuit, Mando returns fire, while at the same time asking if the rickshaw can go any faster. Pelly, pulling out a hammer from behind her seat, throws it at the droid, striking it in the head as she tells it, Go faster, you bucket of bolts! Not that the incoming blaster fire wasn't enough motivation. Still, the, <laughs> rick- the rickshaw does pick up speed, and Pelly is pressed back in her seat with the sudden surge forward. All right. Meanwhile, the other Scorpionek, now accompanied by a squad of Pike soldiers, uh, is steadily gaining on Boba's retreating forces. Ducking into a courtyard uh, off the street, the Weequay and Drash argue about whether or not to continue falling back. Drash tells him that she grew up a womp hop, like womp rat, mm-hmm. a womp, a womp hop away from here. And Hops, if they continue, they yeah, if they continue to flee, uh, they will be cornered, that there will be nowhere else to fall back to. The Weequay argues that they'll be vaporized, but Drash insists that they stand and fight. With the Pike forces now virtually on top of them, the courtyard wall takes a beating, but it holds, but it won't stay that way forever. Inside, Drash tells Scad to hold the line while she intends to go uh, on top of the buildings and snipe from above. But armed with just a small holdout blaster, she is woefully under-equipped. Then uh, the same woman from Freetown that Scad was, uh, had insulted says, uh, yeah, she says, we need a cycler rifle. And then she has Tanty, the weekway bartender. We finally learned his name. His name Mm -hmm. is Tanty. Has uh, Tanty exchange weapons with Drash. Tanty wishes Drash good luck. And then both of the women take off to get to higher ground. Back on the rickshaw, uh, Pelly surprises Mando with a, uh, look who's here. Reaching over, she flips back the blanket, covering the seat, revealing Grogu. No worse for the wear, considering the situation. Mando is caught completely off guard as Grogu asks what... uh, Sorry, he doesn't ask. Mando is caught completely off guard as he asks, What are you doing here? 
and little Grogu just leaps into his arms, and the two share a sweet, forced leap into his arms. <laughs> well, I mean, we did see that in the last episode, with right? The, uh, twing, twing, twing. All right, not gonna lie, um, I, my allergies were acting up in that. Yeah, scene. man, that was the biggest emotional. Yeah, it's okay, little guy. I miss you yeah. too. All that, just that. Yeah, that all that uh, all that stuff from the first two seasons of. Uh, it all comes back very quickly. You know, we had um, that whole, uh, the whole second season revolved around their, their uh, travels together. And, and they, we've got that investment of their, they're a unit, they're a thing. Yeah. And I think and, made uh, a little bit more, like a little more oomph by the, the distance that they had in the last episode and, yeah. and yeah, yeah, him yeah. pining to breach the distance. Uh, yeah, I think I, perfect. I agree. Just perfect. The hug. Oh man. I got it a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With the underlying tones of dad, I'm like, oh, you can't be here. We're in danger right now. Right, right. Yeah, that whole, uh, oh, you you probably shouldn't be here. Yeah, and now but the this- fight has to be fundamentally different for him. I'm not about to die for honor anymore. No. Uh, let's no, settle no. this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is, we dive way back into Western tropes here because it's like, keep your head down and, and all of those things lay low till the fighting stops like all of those like classic western lines it's all there what you would do tell your kids if if the posse came out to the farm and came a calling that's what you'd tell your kids that's how you'd handle it Mm -hmm. at least that's how the movies would handle it Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right um but the moment uh is uh, short and getting back to the gravity of the situation mando tells him that uh we're in a bit of a bind here keep your head down and stay hidden until the fight is over then placing Grogu back down on the rickshaw seat, Mando is elated to see that Grogu is wearing the chain shirt that the armor made for him mm-hmm. underneath his robe. You get your shirt on. <laughs> yeah. When a blaster bolt impacts a nearby building, Pelly says, save your tender moment. We got a Scorpinek droid chasing us. Then taking up her Jawa blunderbuss, she joins the fight. As the two fire back at the droid, Mando asks, what is he doing here? And Pelly answers, the force works in mysterious ways. At the same time, little Grogu holds up his outstretched hand while the camera moves to the rickshaw droid's head, which now happens to be smoking. It wasn't in the previous scene, but it is now. With a shower of sparks from its neck, the droid face plants into the ground, upending the entire rickshaw, and Pelly, Mando, Grogu, and the pit uh, violently into the air uh, themselves while Mando fires his jetpack and with some very expert flying manages to catch Grogu and roll onto his back as he slides to a stop. Uh, Pelly, on the other hand, hits the ground hard, but uh, she seems to have taken the landing pretty well with nothing more than having just knocked out a tooth. Getting back to her feet, Pelly, Mando, Grogu, and the pit droids all stand there waiting for their fate to be handed to them when suddenly the distinct roar of a rancor can be heard. All right, I'm going to stick on this for a second before we move on because I I had asked privately uh, pre-show, did anybody think that Grogu was responsible for face-planting that droid? In a roundabout way. I have to watch it with that in in mind. I didn't notice any of that in terms of story beat. Like I noticed the head was smoking. Yeah, uh, I'd like to rewatch it with that frame of mind. Um, Because he does put his hand up. 
Sure does. And then I'm thinking, you know, he gave the droid like an override or something to say, you know, go faster. I actually like which burned it out. I like that interpretation of it. And it and on that level, if you have that in mind, that really works. Yeah. The other the other way that he understood right? the, the moment he needed to crash the thing to to you know, he understood the moment in the force where yeah. he yeah. needed to be in that place to walk out and do his thing next. Maybe. Yeah. The other, the, the thing that I go back to is uh, the, uh, his characterization across most of the second season of the Mandalorian was, uh, was childlike yes. and, you know, kids, you know, can be mischievous and they can do things that they, they make choices that have consequences that they don't understand. And I wondered if that was one of them where he just thought it would be a funny thing if they all just, let's all fly now. You know what I mean? Like, could it have been something that simple? I think he was doing it to genuinely help. Like, yeah. I mean, Dad I can said we need to go faster. I'll make this thing. Go uh, faster. That is, he did say that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I can buy that. I was just curious. You guys out there who are, uh, who are watching this now, or if you're listening to it later, um, drop us a line on our social media and let us know what you guys think of that scene. All right. So, um, uh, Mando and Pelly quickly move to an open doorway as the Scorponek droid looks up to see what the sound is. And like a shark fin through the water, the ridged back of a rancor can be seen moving between some buildings. Uh, several citizens look on to see what the commotion is all about. It's a cross between Jurassic Park and Godzilla. Well, mm-hmm. I, I got the, the Godzilla vibe, but to me, like just seeing the crest of the back, I'm like, oh, Jaws. I mean, it's the classic. You just see it, and then it kind of dips out of sight. But I mean, Godzilla, it works as well. Uh, and don't kid yourself; I do have a kaiju reference coming up. Yep. <laughs> Staring up at the corner of a nearby building, Mando and Pelly uh, see this enormous left hand grasp the stonework. Then it's a right hand, and the stonework of the building cracks and crumbles under its grip as the beast lifts itself up and stares menacingly down at the Scorponek droid below. And as the Rancor leans out over the edge of the building, they see that Boba Fett is, in fact, riding a Rancor. The droid and Boba briefly exchange fire before the Rancor leaps down to street level and begins to pummel at the Scorponek. Uh, almost King Kong-like, with like the, the real like ape-like... At one point, the Rancor flips the droid on its back, but it quickly rights itself. Uh, but the shield has been compromised, as half of it is now glowing red. That's what we were talking about earlier, how mm, the... Uh, weak spot in the shield. Apparently, Brute Force does a better job than uh, Blasters. Well, Brute Force would expend more energy, and that thing only has so much energy to give, right? Yeah, I mean, going back to that whole uh, gaming analogy, like the the hit point thing. Sure, I mean, maybe it does have uh, hit points, um, but if you're, you know, if if you're like ticking away at it, you know, ten, twelve hit points, and it has a power source that can regenerate that much or more every few seconds, you got to get past that. You've got to have this enormous expenditure of energy, which apparently a rancor will does bring to the table. <laughs> Get a first comment coming in from YouTube here tonight. It's from uh, Steve Terrio. Great job, guys. Steve, thank you very much. Thanks for watching the show. We really appreciate having you guys along. Okay, so um, 
as I said, the, the Rancor flips the, uh, the uh, droid over on its back, but it, it writes itself, and the shield has been compromised as half of it is now glowing red. Uh, Mando sees a, a, an opportunity, sets Grogu down in the open doorway, and uh, he says, let me handle this. While Boba and the Rancor continue to thrash at the droids, Mando once again draws the Darksaber, and uh, swings at the compromised rear shield, eventually weakening it enough that he's able to pass through. Now, inside the shield bubble, Mando jetpacks onto the droid's head while it shoots the Rancor square in the chest, sending it reeling through a nearby building. As uh, Boba wrestles to stay in the saddle, Mando neatly cuts off one of the droid's arm cannons, then reverses his grip on the weapon and plunges the blade into the droid's head, which knocks out the shield entirely. But the droid quickly bucks him off and Mando falls to the ground. Another comment from Eric coming in here saying, uh, I read that as the droid shifting more power between itself and the Rancor. I think that, you know, Eric, there is a possibility of that. Uh, That goes back to what we were talking about earlier with switch switch to front. front. Yeah, like double front or just uh, moving the energy distribution around. I suppose either, uh, either version works. Yeah. Right. Because it's based on, it's like a projector technology. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, have like, um, you know, it's whatever energy receptors in multiple directions that, yeah, could, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, formulate the whole bubble. Uh, I, I will make, I'm going to say this. I'm going to make one more play for the brute force theory because, uh, we're going to drop a building on one of them and that is enough to knock out a shield entirely. Yeah. I mean, straight up in the, in the battlefront two game, uh, when faced with a, a, say a sniper who has a personal shield on, if you hit them five, six times with, with conventional blaster yep. fire, their, yep. their, their shield will drop. They will go down. Um, it's so it's more of like a, it's a temporary, you know, it just, it, it buys you some extra time. Halo handles shields quite well. As, as you say, like they are, uh, they're, uh, uh, they need a recharge time and that's exactly how they work in halo. Like right. they will recharge over time. Right. And I think uh, one of those other, uh, destiny was another one that, that uses mm-hmm. similar, yeah. oh, similar God, kind of much time on that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and again, you know, the, the dune references aren't lost either. The, 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 oh. the right. The dune, uh, shields, the personal shields from dune, you know, they, well, they repel again, bullets, that they whole... repel blasters, lasers, but you could still stick a guy with a knife. You nice can put a knife through, through it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the Dune reference thing. And I, I should have mentioned it when you said it before I, I said it earlier. Uh, the, the Dune analogy was not lost on me when you go to Tatooine and spice and all those things. And I mean, right. my, when he took off, I'm like desert power. He's going to get the He's going to get the Fremen. He's going to get the Fremen. I did. I did think that too. Yeah, I did. <laughs> But at the same time, are the, the people of Freetown, are they the Fremen? Maybe. I don't know. They're not indigenous. <clears throat> Some of them could be. Maybe. The, well, no, because we've already established that the the only indigenous humanoids on Tatooine are Tusken Raiders and Jawas. Right. Uh, yeah. What is it? Season one? The Tuscans think yeah. they're the locals. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, great little uh, sequence here coming up. Uh, Grogu, seeing what's about to happen, steps out onto the street, and he raises his hand as he begins to concentrate. The Scorponek, turning to face Mando, who's still down from his fall, lumbers over top of him. It lifts one of its stilt-like legs and plunges it hard at Mando, 
fortunately, the blow skips off his Beskar thigh guard. Never mind that the impact probably could have snapped a femur, but uh, that didn't happen either. So good for him. Curved Beskar. Well, you know, glancing blow, glancing blow. There you go. But the droid isn't done yet, and it rears up on its two hind legs. Mando covers his face, thinking that the end is nigh. But before, uh, before the droid can strike, Groku rips one of the droid's leg joint connectors clean out of the socket. And instead, the droid falls. Mando wastes no time getting back to his feet and uh, getting away from the droid. And I don't have, I, I wished I had gotten a clearer image of this, but as I was putting the, uh, the show together yesterday, he actually dropped the dark saber. It's laying there on the dirt when he it does. It totally the, is. The, I panicked. I was like, Oh no, 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 don't leave it. No. no. So that's again, in media res, I guess he just went back and, and picked it up. But, yeah. Uh, I was like, Oh, At the same time, though, there's something more important than the dark saber in that scenario, right? Uh, now. The, the man, the Grogu. The, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I did have a, a, the briefest thought that oh, no, maybe Grogu's going to grab it. Oh pick yeah, it up start off the ground and start. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, Hank, but uh, Andy, have you read the the Thrawn, the original Thrawn trilogy? I have not read it all yet. Uh, going back to the original Thrawn trilogy, there's yeah. a sequence in the in the book where Luke is uh, in a in a circular room. Uh, and the room is is draped with like multiple tapestries, and behind every tapestry is like this like master assassin, right? And uh, he knows like there's no way I can take them all. He literally turns his lightsaber on, throws it, and with the force whoop, 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 around the room, taking out all of these assassins. And okay, my job is done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Grogu being so diminutive at this point, even if he had a lightsaber, even Yoda's lightsaber, had he have taken that, is still too right. big for him. Right. So seeing him wield a weapon through the Force, that will be interesting. I just, I always, whenever uh, the thought even occurs to me of Grogu wielding the dark saber, the I'm, it's not lost on me. Moff Gideon's line about you'll poke an eye out with that. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and I always, I'm just like, this is that is foreshadowing a, a, a one-eyed Grogu like. You know, tough Mandalorian, Nar- like gnarly pirate. We've all seen the uh, the memes and whatnot with Grogu all done up. Yes, in full and, uh, oh yeah. yeah. What yeah, if yeah. he becomes the Mandalore? Well, there. I've seen some traction for that. People are saying, no, no, Grogu is the Mandalorian that the title is referencing. Hmm. Possibly, possibly. Well, we started we'll at his uh, beginnings, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, as we say, like as I said, if if they had titled. If every show was the Mandalorian and then just subtitled it, whoever we're talking about, mm. it, it maybe it, w- it would be more palatable to people who don't like it. But the Mandalorian, the book of Grogu, mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That works for me. Okay. Where am I at here? Oh yes. One of my favorite moments of the whole episode. I love this moment. Okay. <laughs> with Mando now at a safe distance, Boba sweeps in with the rancor and picks up the droid in a cross-bodied chokehold of sorts with one hand on an arm cannon and the other around its midsection. The droid struggles, but it's no use. And then Boba gives his, uh, Boba gives the beast a very simple command. Do it. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Do it. It just, it works so good. And then, I mean, as soon as that happened, I'm like, oh, it's Anakin taking Dooku's head off. Right. Like, yeah. There's no yeah. mistaking that. It yeah. is so... Even the, the two arm motion, even. Oh, just the, 
yeah the big uh where i'll put it back up again here yeah i mean the the arms hanging out like so so satisfying that moment all right so uh back at the courtyard the pikes along with the uh, other scorpionic droid continue to pound at the wall the two groups intermittently exchange fire with boba's forces taking down a few of the pikes along the way uh but the droid uh, this droid is just as robust as the other one was, and nothing is getting through the shield. Seems to be the flavor of the day. Mm-hmm. Shields? Yeah, whatever. Spotting uh, Drash and the other sniper, Scad says to uh, Tanti, they've reached the rooftop. And Tanti says, uh, then we make our stand. When Tanti gives the word, everyone stands up from behind the wall and starts laying down a very heavy base of fire while the two girls uh, get into sniping position. Drash, using a Tanti Cycler Rifle uh, in an attempt to distract the droid, uh, while the other sniper from Freetown starts sniping at the, uh, the Pike soldiers. Uh, Steve says, uh, that beast is friggin' massive. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we think it's as big as the, the Rancor that uh, was under the palace uh, during Jabba's reign? If not a Ooh. bit bigger. I think so. I mean, it got like, kind of commensurate, right? Like, great, right? Well, we'll when really he, get it. When he- when he eats that guy, that's uh, going to say we're going to get a yeah, real good. He's pretty commensurate with the same uh, size. I mean, they're both like, the, Pasana and and whatever this one are. They're both understood to be babies. Compare, <laughs> compared you know, like, to the uh, oh yeah, full grown yeah, yeah. adults that the witches of Dathomir ride wow. in the. Uh, but the only thing that's throwing Slayer. us there is definitely Moochie, right? Being, oh, I know Moochie being child. like uh, what, like under ten feet tall? Yeah, Wreckers. I mean, yeah. a big, but Wreckers not like. Basketball? I mean, maybe she, she could have been, she could have been like, you know, weeks old compared yeah, to maybe yeah, months yeah. old or, you know, who, who knows how fast they grow initially. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. I have no idea, to be honest. Uh, where am I now? Here? Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, having succeeded in gaining the droid's attention, the two women now hunker down on the roof as an incoming blast strikes the wall just below their position. Standing up for another barrage, they are shocked. When Boba, riding his rancor, smashes through the building right next door and begins to engage the droid. With a powerful backhand, the rancor knocks the droid into a building and collapses it on top of it. The pikes, clearly demoralized at the sight of this, break and run. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm done. Uh, as my, as uh, what's the word? As uh, as my wife, who may or may not be watching right now, uh, pants go brown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the Rancor quickly recovers and uh, takes... Oh, sorry, did I, miss, I missed the line, didn't I? I did. Uh, with a powerful backhand, the Rancor knocks the droid into a building, collapsing on top of it. Yes, the pike's clearly demoralized. Run. The Rancor, meanwhile, thrashes the ground in front of the uh, downed building while Bulba uh, holds it in place. And there's a moment of eerie silence. And suddenly, the droid blasts its way out of the debris, striking the Rancor in the shoulder at the same time. But the Rancor quickly recovers and uh, takes a swipe at the now shieldless droid, knocking it to the ground. Then, grabbing it with both hands just below the central eye, the Rancor hurls the Scorponek into the building across the street. But the droid lands on its feet, cannons blazing. But Boba is able to maneuver the Rancor out of the line of fire, and the two behemoths circle one another, looking for the right attack angle. With some harassing fire from Boba's carbine, the Rancor charges in at the droid, grasping both arm cannons and forcing them upward. Locked in a deadly melee, the Scorpionek droid uses its front legs 
to tear into the rancor, and the beast reels in pain as it lets go of the arm cannons. Now, free of the, of the beast's grasp, it unloads all four cannon barrels, driving the rancor back. As Boba force, uh, uh, oh. As Boba's forces look on, you can imagine some of them, if not all of them, think that uh, uh, it's all over. I was quite concerned at this point. Well, it's like we, we just got our rancor like literally a couple minutes ago here out in the world. No, I agree. And now they're going to take them away yeah. from us. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I thought there was some, this. I thought the stakes for the rancor yeah. were very, very high. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't take him away now. A He's couple got of, so many uh, people to eat. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of well-placed lo- uh, rounds. And I thought, oh, well, it's a, it's going to be rancor barbecue as, as yep. Ellie would uh, infer. Okay. Um, so unflinching, where am I on now here? What? Yeah, you're right. Slot am I on? Yeah. Unflinching, unflinching Boba holds the rancor in place. And uh, when the droid reels up to strike with its legs again, he looses the reins and the rancor grabs the droid by its cannons, tossing it aside like a plaything. The droid tumbles like a ragdoll, especially having been relieved now of one of its arms, which uh, proves useful because the Rancor proceeds to use it like a shield while the droid shoots at it with its remaining arm cannon. Uh, taking the droid around the neck uh, with one hand, the Rancor drives its uh, thumb through the droid's central eye before ripping off. Am I in the wrong one? Yeah. I am in the wrong one. There we go. Taking the droid around the neck with, the, with one hand, the Rancor drives its thumb through the droid's central eye before ripping off one of its legs and slamming it to the ground. Push the button. Yeah, he did. Lights out. <laughs> Thumb to the eye. Well, there you go. I mean, that, again, Star Wars trope. Uh, R2, hit the buzz droid, center lie. Yep. Hit the pit droid and it collapses, right? Well, then, pinning it down with one hand, the Rancor rips the droid's other cannon off and, using it like a spear, drives it squarely through the droid's head, which was also very satisfying. <laughs> Now, with both Scorpionek droids finally down, Boba's forces take a moment to cheer. But the Pike soldiers that broke ranks earlier, well, they're still, like, less than a block away. Grogu, uh, sorry, carrying Grogu, Mando now bursts onto the street, along with Peli and the droid crew, catching the Pikes off guard. And uh, it's an easy route as the Pikes are overwhelmed by the surprise, and they once again break and run. Talk about... uh, the the whole thing the the stakes changing for him and the way he handles the battle not going to excuse the fact that he just carried a baby into a gunfight <laughs> baby mind you it yeah you know, best guard baby that's true yeah it's true it's not completely unarmed no that's true well cha- chainmail's not really effective against wouldn't know not really uh, I I have some questions about chainmail and uh sort of like. Well, so our blasters energy are they are they kinetic bolts because we get the impression that they're energy from, from well, watching the movies and shows, but the Legends games has, are, has really made that clear, and and the games in, indicate that they're bolts like physical objects that hit yep. you. Yeah. So if if we're if we're energy, I say the the energy is dispersed over the. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, area of the armor, but if they're if they're a physical object, then there's there's a sort of a different, you know, there's a the, slow. You could stick your fingers in in a chainmail shirt, kind right, of, right, 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 right. You know, sim- very similar to the shields, like you know, 
the the simple answer is that uh, blaster weapons in Star Wars are particle weapons. Right. Right. Hence, they need uh, a huge thing, and it's in uh, Tabana gas, the the very thing that that Lando Calrissian was mining uh, on Bespin. Tabana gas uh, in many, and I'm sure there's several even new canon uh, references reference Tabana gas being a, a part of like uh, capital ship weapons that they need right. the gas because that's where the particles come from is the mm. gas particles are, are supercharged. And that's why you have this, like, as you say, a, a physical thing, right? You know, it's, it's not like a laser that, uh, you know, is light that just it travels in infinitely through whatever until it hits an object. It's a particle. So over, over distance, right. So I can uh, see ideally would dissipate. Therefore, an object or a particle would be dispersed over the the surface Possibly. of the I suppose of the, so. Sure, of the Baskar armor. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, um, Mando calls out to the mods: "Keep them on their heels. They're on the run." And with that, everyone rushes out of the courtyard to join the chase, while the girls up on the roof start planking targets of opportunity. Even Pelly gets in on the action, unloading her Jawa blunderbuss. Well, it cost her a tooth. They got to pay. Well, I guess so. Now, she didn't pick up the tooth, did she? No. Uh, she'll get a new one from the mod surgeon. There you go. As Pelly moves off to the side of the street, an incoming round strikes a nearby bench, blowing a hole in it, exposing the major domo hiding behind it. Uh, I just love the guy's expression in this moment. Like, uh-oh. It's like another pants go brown moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a reflection on Pelly, too, right? Yeah, like she doesn't care who he is. She's just like, get behind me. I'm oh, I know. I love that. Turning her blunderbuss towards him, the major domo throws up his hands, exclaiming, "I am not a threat." And then Pelly answers him with, "Nice head tails." <laughs> uh, at which confusing uh, the the major domo confusingly strokes them for a moment, telling him, "Get behind me, pretty face. Pelly's got you covered." The Twi'lek tells her, uh, pleasure to meet your acquaintance, but uh, she grunts, eh, we don't have time for that. And the two rush off to join up with the rest of the group. Focusing back uh, to Boba, uh, he and the Rancor now start to uh, mop up what's left of the pikes on the block. Starting with uh, what's left of that Scorponek droid, the Rancor heaves it through a stone archway and then turns to face the, uh, the pike troops. Uh, their blaster fire isn't particularly effective, and the Rancor bats a few of them away, while Boba bullseyes a few more of them with his carbine. And the Rancor even manages to uh, get in a snack while he's at it. This is that sequence where we have the the the, the two block, the long pass, the the Wilhelm. Yeah. And of course, like you say, I mean that's a that's a dude going in there. I didn't get a shot of it, but the the guy's feet, like. He's just holding him in his mouth for the next like several seconds before he actually swallows it. Like he takes a few more bats at other things. All right. But then things are about to take a turn because uh, just then Cad Bane, who has been absent this entire time now makes an appearance. Facing off Boba once again, looses the reins of the rancor. But when the Rancor tries to lunge at Cad Bane, the Duros bounty hunter lets out a blast from his own wrist-mounted flamethrower. Um, whether uh, uh, seared or hurt, I'm, I'm not particularly sure. But either case, the Rancor staggers back and uh, Boba is actually thrown from the saddle. The Rancor tries to uh, swipe at Bane, 
but another gout of fire to its hand is enough to deter it. And uh, with no one at the reins now, the beast climbs over a building and is left to its own devices. Now, do we think this is a uh, nod to, say, like the Universal Monsters where fire bad? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Because I know we're getting a nod coming up here to some more classic stuff. But. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I mean, the fire in Monsters is is just a, it, it's a trope. Like, it, it's... Yeah. You know, I mean, all the way back to like, uh, you know, the the Salem witch trials, burning them at the stake, and I mean that that just kind of carry, I think, kind of carried over into some of the other stuff. But I mean, all the gamers in the world, you know, you know, the joke is uh, kill it with fire. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if it if it if all else fails, there's always fire. Except mm-hmm. in the movie, uh, what was it, Evolution? <laughs> David Duchovny and uh... Evolution. You need shampoo for that. That's right. <laughs> fire doesn't work. No, I guess not. All right. Boba picks up his carbine and gets back to his feet. Now, face to face, he tells Cad Bane, clear out and take your hoodlum gang with you. Bane replies, I've known you a long time, Boba. One thing I can't figure, what's your angle? Boba tells him, uh, this is my city. These are my people. I will not abandon them. But Cad Bane being, well, a Cad, uh, provokes Boba when he says, like the Tuscans and Boba doesn't take that too well because he, he tells the Duros don't toy with me. I'm not a little boy any longer. And you're an old man, but Cad Bane uh, is ready to settle things like here and now. And this time there is no Fennec Shand to get between them. Taking another poke at Boba. He says, I'm still faster than you. Boba replies that may be, but I have armor. Cad Bane just flips back his duster and says, let's find out. Oh, this is so... Okay. The two rivals finally face off in the duel that I think many fans have been probably waiting for for a long time. Um, But at the same time, I don't think everybody was necessarily happy with the outcome, uh, at least not the initial outcome. Because uh, it's Cad Bane that hits Boba square in the shoulder between a chest plate and uh, his pauldron knocking him flat. Boba doesn't even hit him at all. Like, he gets a round off, but uh, it never hit, it doesn't even touch him. So, um, so Cad Bane is faster. Well, than yeah, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to bring that up here in a second. Uh, the two rivals. Oh, sorry, I've already kept that. I've already talked about that. Okay, we're going to talk about it right now. We talked about this privately offline, and this kind of goes back to that um, to the animatic sequence where, like, ping, they shot each other at the same time. Cad Bane's got a steel head plate, and Boba's got a dent in his helmet. Okay, we can put all that aside for a second. Cad Bane, no doubt in my mind, a million times is the faster draw. At his age now, he just outgunned a man who already had his weapon in his hand. Keep in mind, Cad Bane had to go from a cold draw from a holster to a guy who's already got a gun in his hand. There's no way in my mind that Boba could ever have bested him. Like, young Cad Bane would be even faster. That's what I mean. Now it's just muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's all kinds of like, you know, well, what about this and maybe, but no. (laughs) No. Nope fastest gun in this side of most uh, i just want to say on that note too uh on the cad bane thing um he is absolutely terrifying 
like in every oh, scene yeah. that he's in. Like, I mean, you can't. <sighs> His presence is I, immense. I don't want to be on the other end of negotiations with him. <laughs> no way. That guy scares the bejesus out of me. Negotiations are short. <laughs> the negotiations were short. Okay. So, um, yeah, Cad Bane is absolutely the faster draw in, in my books and, and probably always will be. <laughs> comment from Eric uh, coming in here. Cad Bane has a thing for shoulder shots, it would seem. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we thought that, uh, I thought that he took a Cobb Banth with a shoulder shot, to be honest. Yeah. But at the same and, time. And Hunter. <laughs> yes. Maybe the shoulder shot is his way of showing mercy. Maybe. Or maybe he's just, you know, trying to aim high left, thinking that's where everybody's heart is. I don't know. I don't know. All right, here we go. Knock out the shoulder, they can't shoot you. Oh, so here, I'm going to talk about this too. Where is it? uh, Another point here. I put some talking points in here because this is where it got really interesting for me. Um, It's a couple of possibilities that that I want to discuss here uh, with the duel, right? The whole, like, let's let's propose for a second that that, uh, Cad Bane isn't actually faster than Boba because remember, that animatic... That animatic is not canon, so we can't we can't really talk about can't use that in the argument. But in the context of the show and the whole metaphor for what the show means, could Boba Fett getting shot by Cad Bane could it have been a plot device where, where Boba is actually playing possum? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, could he have like lost the duel on purpose just to draw him in? It's quite possible. Like, you know, Fennec tells him, you know, do it on your time, your how you want to. Yeah. And him saying to Cad Bane, you know, I'm not the little boy anymore. Right. Cad Bane doesn't know what he's learned from the Tuscans. Knowing what's about to happen, knowing what's coming, there is the 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 other side of that, like. Like I say, if we if we suppose for a moment that Cad Bane is not the better, faster draw, that Boba is in fact playing possum, just drawing him in. And if that's the case, kind of mind blowing at uh, how elaborate it is, and him really knowing, I, yes, I can yeah. take him. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that sort of uh, wishy washy. I think Cad Bane is certainly faster. Yeah, uh, I think Boba proves he's deadlier. But I think. Well, I, in terms of plot devices, it was written that way so that Boba could avenge the Tuscans. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Tuscan weapon. Well, there is that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and touch on that one a little bit more because I have another uh, another question that I want to put past everybody as well. As Cad Bane strides uh, toward Boba Fett, he derisively says, uh, "Isn't this about the time you jet off to your back to tank?" Which, by the way seems pretty insightful to me uh maybe a little too insightful because that begs the question how much observation has cad bane been doing on boba fett over the last uh what five however many years i don't even know that it needs to be over him doing any of it it could just be the pikes watching over of them oh that could because be like they well. already knew to send black chrysanthemum in while he was taking his back to oh pass. that is true that so is true that could be info they just passed on to him okay yeah i'm good with that now down, but not out, Boba uh, exclaims, this is my city, as he rolls up to one knee and unleashes a gout from his flamethrower. But Cad Bane, who is remarkably spry for an older fellow, 
makes a diving roll under the blast and uh, puts a round from his pistol squarely into Boba's chest plate. As Boba lay there writhing in pain with his carbine just out of reach, Cad Bane casually strides toward him. He says to Boba, you gave it a shot, tried to go straight, but you've got your father's blood pumping through your veins. You're a killer. And that right there is the, the point I want to talk about. Is this, is this the ultimate metaphor? Is this the ultimate rebirth metaphor? Is Cad Bane metaphorically Django Fett in this case where Boba has like, we already understand that Boba's character arc throughout this series was to break away from that. He, uh, he inferred that with Fennec when he wanted to uh, talking about people who are getting us killed. What do we think about the, that as a metaphor? Maybe. Possibly. Mm, okay. I, I think he's just the quintessential villain. Uh, I think that Boba still loves his father, even if his father, he doesn't know anything about his father's father died when he was 10. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, him and Cad Bane ran around the galaxy, probably killing little kids for the, for, for whoever paid them the highest. Well, money. there was so, that whole prison. You know, thing. There's, a, there's a disconnect uh, for what, I think Boba, the idea, um, uh, you know, in Legends too, we get a lot more about Django in Legends, and Django's not right, right. the character that we get in Attack of the Clones. He's he's right, much right. more uh, noble and and uh, much more like this Boba Fett that we're seeing in this show. Oh actually. yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Could it be a dig at him being a clone? Oh, there is that too. I mean, but that that's come up before. I mean, that's it's not off the table. The uh, whole you got your father's blood uh, well, in the uh, in the script that of that unreleased arc. It's it's basically out of loyalty to Django is the reason that that Cad Bane takes Boba in under his yeah, wing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there that is, is this. You know, if you there's a, a book. It's not canonized yet. It's the the Bounty Hunters Code Book. Um, uh, it's it, it's in the vein of the uh, the canonized uh, Jedi Handbook. Oh yeah, one, yeah, I remember the one that. with that force power that they that uh, Ryan Johnson canonized. Yeah, there's sure. also a Sith handbook, but yeah, in it lays out like the the uh, the rules of being a bounty hunter, and some of yeah, the rules yeah, are yeah. you don't you don't ever kill another bounty hunter. Oh, one of the interesting. rules. Interesting. Uh, if a bounty eater, a bounty hunter needs help on a bounty, you help him, no questions asked. And right. you hack out the details later. later. Very similar to when uh, IG-11 and Mando meet up. Uh, right, right, right. But another thing which is different too is that the, um, the guild never hires more than one hunter per job, which we see Grief Cargo do completely well, the opposite uh, of. Who had tracking fobs? Uh, they all did. <laughs> they all did. Oh. Okay, well then let's, we'll move on. Um where am I at here? Good Lord. Oh yeah. Here we go. Uh, writhing in pain, uh, with his carbine just out of reach. Cad Bane casually strides toward him, says you've, you gave it a shot. You tried to go straight, but you've got your father's blood pumping through your veins. You're a killer. Now with Cad Bane standing over top of him, Boba tries to inch closer to his blaster, but Bane kicks him flat and shoves the blaster out of reach. Pinning Boba's arm with his boot. Cad Bane stares down at him and says, this isn't the first time I beat you out on a job. Then, dropping a knee into Boba's unarmored nuts and jamming a pistol into his unarmored ribs, 
Bane rips Boba's helmet off as he says, there's no shame in it. Now, eye to eye, Bane stands back up, points his blaster uh, at Boba's face, and he says, Consider this my final lesson. Look out for yourself. Anything else is weakness. Oh. Well, then, just as Cad Bane uh, pulls the trigger, Boba makes a daring move by rolling back up to one knee. Fortunately for him, his chest plate takes the blast. And while he gains momentum, Boba pulls his gaffy stick off his jetpack, swinging it in a very precise strike that knocks the pistol from Bane's hand. Now, up to a low crouch, Boba drives the hook end of his gaffy into Bane's stomach, sending him off balance, and quickly hooks his right leg and pulls the Duros bounty hunter to the ground. Bane tries to draw his other pistol from the drop holster on his left leg, but Boba bats it out of his hands before he can pull the trigger. Then, flipping his gaffy stick over, Boba steps over Bane, ready to make the final strike. Bane tells Boba, I knew you were a killer, as he lets loose one more blast of his flamethrower, but Boba deftly sidesteps it. Knocking the flamethrower aside with his gaffy, Boba raises his stick high over his head and drives it squarely into Cad Bane's chest. The Duro shudders for a moment as his last breath escapes his lungs and then collapses still on the sandy street. The big question here, everybody, is Cad Bane dead? Of course he's not. This guy's got a history of escaping death. We've seen it before. (laughs) There's a mod guy in town. so There is a mod surgeon in town. That's going to be another question that I'm going to bring up a little bit later because that's a fun one. I asked my wife this earlier today. There's well, a little beep there. And a let's talk light. about that. We're going to talk about that for a second here because I've, I've got that uh, going on here. Right here. As Boba walks away, the camera pans up uh, across Cad Bane's body and a distinct electronic beep can be heard sounding rhythmically with the flashing red light on his left chest box. And uh, in case you missed it, this is what it sounded like. So, yeah. Uh, did anybody else uh, notice the chess box thing? I sure did. <laughs> so there's sure a chess box. So he wears a chess box on either side, which if you weren't paying attention, you'd think, oh, it looks like maybe it's like pirated rank that he'd stolen off of a Imperial or Rebel officer. But on the on his left chest, there's this console. And apparently it, uh, it's some electronic device because uh, just a few seconds after Boba drives the uh, gaffy into him, it starts blinking. Um, and it's yeah, totally lit up. Hmm. See, Eric he's said, mod. Oh, Eric says that uh, if they killed him off, it's a huge waste of a great character. Yeah, and uh, I agree with that as well. Star Wars does that a, a bit sometimes, but they always bring them back. I, I feel like um, he's he's way too good to to have done that too. Um, he's also modified yeah. himself. Uh, like we know that Duras can breathe Tatooine air from A New Hope. That's right. Uh, so he's he's modified it so that he can breathe in in like multiple environments. Multiple environments. So he's got like you know bionic lungs and that's what and, the tubes. Uh, are, I guess the tubes up to his cheeks are supposed to represent some kind of uh, right. They're circuits. They're, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're literally like going around his lungs. Yeah, so he can breathe yeah, straight yeah, yeah, through yeah. the backpack. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the, the couple things going on here. And so, I mean, at first I'm like, is it some kind of like, like a pacemaker or like an internal defibrillator, like emergency. I just, well, yeah, I just got whacked. So my thing detects my heart's not beating anymore. So it gives me a little jolt. And is that the, Oh, my heart's restarted and that's what's going on there. Or a couple of things, right? Like, you know, first of all, if we're re, if he, if his lungs have been rerouted to a backpack, so stabbing sure. through the lungs isn't really going to change a lot. Wow. The other thing that I couldn't help but notice the 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 uh, the glaring uh, absence, lack <laughs> or absence of uh, <laughs> Toto three sixty. Toto three sixty, his and, uh, uh, faithful faithful uh, droid companion, voiced by uh, Seth Green, would have been awesome to see. Of course, you know, I don't think we've seen the last of the character. I, I think we'll definitely get to see Toto in, in the future. And that would be, you know, like the fail-safe switch. That would be who would be coming to get Cad Bane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally I mean, would uh, be. You know. Our last, uh, our last uh, uh, visit with Toto 360 back in uh, The Bad Batch, Toto was was markedly absent from a lot of what was going on with Cad mm-hmm. Bane. And what was he doing? He was manning the ship yeah what do you think he's uh, doing right now sort of even duped into helping omega a little you right know, like yeah no absolutely right and i actually think that uh toto is probably present on tatooine uh, bane obviously has transportation minding yeah minding the ship sure w- whether we see that in a future episode of the mandalorian or ahsoka or any of the other mandoverse uh shows i'm sure we will i hope we will I mean, if you can, if you can, uh, if you can live action the uh, the LEP uh, <laughs> personal service droid there, like sure, it's not that far off. No, no, exactly. So I mean, yeah, the the, uh, the uh, Jedi Fallen Order droid that Pelly has. Oh yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Um, is, um, is perfectly in the sort of the same vein. BD. Yeah, BD. Yeah, BD. Buddy. Yeah, buddy, buddy. All right, all right. So um, I, I guess we're all in agreement. Uh, Cad Bane, not dead. Not dead. Not yet. Not dead. Yeah. He's just mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't totally dead. He's dead He's forever for now. Yeah, that's right. 60% of the time, 100% of the time. Right. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Meanwhile, the Rancor tears through the city like a kaiju through Tokyo. Boba's fighters try engaging the creature with their weapons, but the enraged Rancor just bites down on the land speeder uh, in its hand before throwing it at them. Fortunately, the speeder goes high and misses all the people, uh, but the building half a block away uh, wasn't so lucky. When Mando finally catches up, he tells them, stop shooting. All they're doing is scaring it, Uh, but the last few blasts drive the Rancor up a tower in a sequence that's uh, right out of King Kong. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Handing Grogu over to Peli, Mando tells her, uh, keep him safe. Awkwardly, she says, who's going to keep me safe? But she takes him anyway. Mando pulls out the, uh, the, shift, the shifter knob, the, rem- the last remnants of the razor crest from a belt pouch, handing it to Grogu. Here, hold on to this. Staring up at Mando, he takes the shiny ball as Mando says, it's going to be okay. And he rockets off to try and wrangle the Rancor. Um, anybody have thoughts or uh, visions of, of him trying to uh, tame a Blurg? Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, wonder so how they, I wonder how this compares. He has spoken. 
Grabbing the uh, chain attached to the Rancor's nose ring, Mando drops into the saddle and tries to rein in the creature, but the Rancor is too riled up and plucks Mando off his back and slams him into a nearby rooftop. While not done with him yet, the Rancor then leaps from the tower onto the rooftop and bashes Mando through the roof, collapsing a portion of it uh, in the process. But if that wasn't enough, the beast then plucks him out from the debris, waves him around in front of his face, while a worried Peli turns to Grogu and says, uh, Don't worry, kid, your old man's crafty, as the two of them look on from uh, across the street. But then the Rancor attempts to bite down on his head, and uh, she corrects herself with a, Ooh, spoke too soon. <laughs> Fortunately for Mando, uh, his Beskar helmet uh, keeps its integrity, but more importantly, prevents Mando's head from popping like a grape. <laughs> Confused at this, the Rancor takes Mando in both hands and tries again. But uh, not wanting to uh, become somebody else's meal, Mando unleashes a gout of fire inside the Rancor's mouth. Fire bad. Uh, fire bad, absolutely. Barbecue from the inside. <laughs> Their comment from Eric didn't need to see Mando on a rancor. Mandalore has a much more <laughs> epic mount to tame. I said it before. I'll say it again. Somebody's going to ride a mythosaur. Yeah. I, I like don't know it. Who I it really is. liked the scene just to, to, to show like how much more, uh, I guess Bruce Willis Mando is compared to Boba yeah. uh, and, and how he's, he's just barely scraping by. So, all the best intentions of jumping on this wild horse, but it, it, it certainly bucks him. <laughs> oh, big time. That's the second time he's been bucked today. First, he got it from a droid. Now he gets it from a rancor. <laughs> uh, but again, uh, I guess we can touch on it right now. Uh, at the end of the sequence, uh, the end of the, the, the episode, uh, when they're talking, um, there's the whole like pleasantries between the citizens of, of Mos Espa and Boba and Fennec and talking about the bowing and, and uh, she makes an overture about, well, it's either that or getting shot at. And then he says, we're not cut out for this. Does that not just drop the, uh, I mean, that's the pebble, right? The ping. Cause she says, if not us, who else? And as they mm. stroll up to the end of the street, there's Chrysanthemum, all the mods and everybody else who was just in the battle. And it's like, oh, so you could just turn operations over to any one of those people. And now you and Fennec can go jet off and do any other number of adventures without having to worry about the care of the city. Which leads itself, uh, lends itself perfectly into the, to what we said earlier about, you can't tell me that uh, the liberation of Mandalore is not going to include Boba Fett. No, no 100%. That one. I mean, uh, there's our front runners, um, Din Djarin, Boba Fett. Somebody's riding a mythosaur. Somebody's going to be Mandalore. Grogu. Grogu. Yeah. Well, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, plot twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but you get what I'm saying, right? That would be the ultimate downfall, though, because that would mean he would have to beat his dad to take that dark saber. Uh, or he could. Oh, okay. Let's not even talk about that. No. All right. Save that for another one. So. Uh, pissed off that it can't chew on Mando like a twig, the Rancor throws him to the street, and Mando lands hard and is uh, knocked unconscious in the impact. But uh, Rancors will be Rancors, and when there's food involved, they can be quite persistent. So, uh, jumping down from the building, the creature lumbers toward the unconscious Mandalorian. 
but uh, not before scaring the bejesus out of Pelly and the major domo with a very fierce roar. Um, great little comedy moment there with the two of them screaming like a la Ned Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> When the beast uh, turns its attention back to Mando, Pelly tries to apologize to Grogu, but then discovers that uh, he's gone. Striding confidently out into the street, the little green guy puts himself between the rancor and his adopted father. Nothing more than a morsel to the lumbering giant. The rancor just stares down at Grogu, not really sure what to make of him. Then the rancor lowers its head down to Grogu's level and lets out another fierce roar. But the little guy holds his ground. In response, he uh, lifts up his little hand and, through his connection to the Force, calms the Rancor uh, to the point where the Rancor actually lays down, closes its eyes, and goes to sleep. And uh, when it's all over, uh, the little guy wanders up to the sleeping giant, uh, gently touches it around the snout, and then uh, curls up beside him and uh, decides to take his own nap. As the camera pulls back, uh, the final words of the sequence uh, uh, fall to Pelly, who says, uh, I guess there's not going to be a barbecue. <laughs> there it is. I tell, what do you think? How much crap is she putting in her mouth? Maybe <laughs> anything, anything she can get her hands on, I guess. Scurriers, whatever. So is Gung this worms. doubling, is this doubling down though? Gung worms. That Grogu already knows more than Luke. I mean, because when Luke was faced with a rancor, oh, well, he killed true. it. Now yeah, Grogu faced with it, you know, go to sleep. Well, um, it, this Jedi have different sort of innate, like, like specialties. Ezra yep. Bridger. Was, well, that's, I was just going to say that. This is straight Ezra Bridger. This is straight a connection. That's to, his thing, the, the animal connection. Right. So, so and, and we've already, we've already seen Grogu do the, the, the healing connection. Yep. Which yep. is why uh, they, they had that scene in the, the last Jedi to give Ray. Uh, that sort of healing and beast control power yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're just sort of broadening what a Jedi can do. Uh, so far, we've only seen it specifically, you know, Ezra Bridger controlling animals like this, especially you know, uh, the uh, the sort of the space whales from the the, the last right, episode. Right, right, right. That's right. Uh, and I think that's just an extension of that, and it's um, sort of speaks to Grogu's more innate connections to the Force, and uh, and. Like not, you know, he's had 30 years or plus of training. True. Comment. Uh, even Ezra couldn't do that at right, first. Right. And neither could Kanan. Right. No. Exactly. No, it's yeah, very, yeah, that's yeah. very true. He had to, he had to overcome his fear because fear was, was what was causing the animals to. Yep. And literally in that scene, uh, didn't, didn't blaze it out. You're scaring him and Grogu, you know, without showing fear is how he, the first, uh, Lothcat attacked him the first time. Right, uh, right. In reference to uh, Ezra. Yeah. Yeah, that is right. Is that my wife? Um, I don't know. Is it your wife? Is she watching tonight? She, yeah, usually, she usually likes to just be a Facebook user. Well, yeah. thank you for, thank you for Maybe. watching. It could be her. Who knows? We'll find out. Andy will tell me. <laughs> you can tell me off air when we're done. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, but going back to your initial question about uh, talking about training versus innate ability, uh, Grogu uh, just, I mean, being found as a youngling and then living, uh, at the temple, I would almost guarantee right. that he has more formal training and more innate um, ability. And yes, so therefore and, both. Well, yeah. Right. Right. Eric says, what was Grogu's training? Was he just a youngling? Maybe he was already a Padawan or maybe he was slated for consular training. 
Uh, Eric, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that unless Grogu was in the temple with his master at the time of Order 66, he was not a Padawan, that he no. was a youngling I, I, living I would, in the yeah, temple. I agree with that assumption, especially because of that Order 66 Unlocked scene memory. that we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he, he seemed much more diminutive uh, 28 years in the past. He, he was, did. And he was t- his ears were smaller. He was tinier. He's holding on. Now, he's wearing his little robe, but he's also holding on to a much darker piece of fabric in case yeah, anybody yeah, missed it. Like that. a reddy brown kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, like yeah. whose robe is that? Maybe there was a master there. Maybe it was somebody... Somebody who knows? Already who fallen. knows? All stuff that maybe the Lucasfilm will will uh, roll out to us at a later date. Do it now. <laughs> Do, it. Do it. Okay, so yes, uh, nap time for the two of them, and uh, there's not going to be a barbecue. All right, now we get on to this other, uh, the last, uh, as we're getting down towards the end of the episode, we get this amazing sequence, which I am like, it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But contextually, but um, it is. Oh, it's it's awesome. Master assassin yeah. for a yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, back at the desert survey office over in Moss Eisley, the Pike Syndicate leader briefs the mayor along with the heads of the three crime families from Mos Espa on the situation uh, back in the city. He says that uh, the remainder of his forces will be arriving soon, and they in fact will be leaving. But the Klaatuinian Don uh, isn't pleased with that because, uh, oh, by the way, that's uh, Phil Lamar talking to uh, Phil Lamar mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's both characters. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the Klaatuinian Don isn't really pleased with that because, as he says, uh, we lost soldiers too. The Trandoshan Don, uh, who is Robert Rodriguez, in case you've forgotten that, says uh, we had a deal. But the Pike leader says that that deal was based on the notion that Tatooine was a profitable place to do business. At which point the mayor chimes in and tells him it is. And when the Pike says that half of his men were either shot or eaten by a rank or he questions, is that what you'd call hospitable? <laughs> well, no sooner does he say that than the sound of two blaster shots very close together can be heard from outside. Startled, the Pike calls for his guards, but nobody answers. And everyone in the room immediately stands up and draws a blaster. Well, except the mayor. Another shot rings out, and the Oculish Don is hit in the head, falling to the floor. Then, a series of shots in rapid succession drop the other two Dons and the two Pike footmen until only the syndicate leader and the mayor are left standing. Uh, if you if you watch it, and I didn't do a, enough, I didn't get enough imagery to, to really get this across, but, like, guys were falling in succession, like, one guy hadn't even hit the floor yet. And the next one was falling. Yep. Super, super cool. The mayor who's now in an all out panic. Cause you can hear uh, his breathing <sighs> starts pacing the room, looking for a way out, but there really isn't one. Suddenly a garret drops from the ceiling and the mayor is hoisted up by the neck and he struggles briefly before going limp. The sound of footfalls can then be heard on the roof of the building and as the pike, uh, the pike tries to follow the sound uh, around the room, stopping in front of a window, the pike stares intently when suddenly a blade flashes and the syndicate leader falls to the floor and in his place stands master assassin Fennec Shand. And with her work now done, she opens the door and trots out like nothing ever happened. Yep. Oh, oh. Uh, this is probably the, the, I love the fight that she had with Cad Bane in the Bad Batch, but this this uh, sequence really shows us that she is deserving of that title, yep. Master 
assassin. She's a formidable fighter, but she is an amazing assassin. Mm-hmm. I mean, she went from uh, sniping dudes on the roof to running around the building and coming up through the floor in like the blink of an eye. How much so uh, droid? How, how much droid modification did she get? A little bit. <laughs> well, we've already seen she's great at the parkour. That's true. Uh, I just want to talk about the uh, the uh, the desert survey office. It's something that that's come up before, and I'm I'm a little disappointed that I missed this one uh, because this should be right up my alleyway. You'd think something as innocuous as a as a desert survey office was not a callback, but no, my friends, it is a callback because the desert survey office of Mos Eisley was actually introduced to us uh, back in uh, Star Wars Gamer magazine. Issue number seven, published by Wizards of the Coast, back in November two thousand one, in uh, in the se- uh, the section of the magazine called "The Secrets of Moss Eisley." Uh, it was an adventure, and uh, the Desert Survey Office was a location that you actually visited in that adventure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a little disappointed for missing that uh, the first time around, but hey, we got it. By the way, I still have every issue of that magazine. That's awesome. There's, there's not many. It didn't. It didn't last very long. It it went out of print right around the same time that Dragon and Dungeon magazines went out of print. Mm. Pretty close to the same time, yeah. Okay, so uh, sometime later, presumably the next day, things look like they're back to normal. The spaceport is bustling with new arrivals, and uh, the people of Mos Espa have begun the task of cleaning up the wreckage left over from the gang war. Uh, Boba and Fennec walk down the street, and as citizens notice them, they bow respectfully. Boba returns the bow, uh, the bows with a smile, asking Fennec, why do they have to bow? She tells him, well, it's either that or be shot at. Still hurting from his injuries sustained during the fight, Fennec suggests that uh, he takes a long soak in the back to tank. But Boba says it's being used. Mm-hmm. Further down the street, uh, three children with a basket of uh, Melu runs uh, run out and offer some of them to Boba, and uh, he graciously accepts one. The there, final thanking, Godfather reference. Thanking them for it. The, the melon? Right at the very end, uh, the children run out and, and give Don Corleone an orange. Oh, cool. Straight out of the Godfather, yeah. Turning back to Fennec, he tells her, uh, we're not suited for this. But she says to him, if not us, then who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As they reach the end of the street, Santo, the mods, and for some reason, the LEP service droid are waiting for them. And as the camera pulls back, Scad cracks a joke about the Wookiee getting a melon, but not them. Right. So, Meluron. Uh, yeah. Fennec asks him uh, if, she, uh, if he wants to share, and Santo roars while everybody else shares a laugh. Okay, I'm going to back this up for a second because... Scooby-Doo ending. <laughs> <laughs> If you didn't know what was coming, and by that I mean there is a post-credit scene this week, kids, If uh, in case you forgot, in case you're joining us just now, there is a post-credit scene. We're going to talk about that in a second. But if you didn't know it was coming, when she says, take a soak in the back to tank, when he says it's being used, who's in it? First thought was Santo. Absolutely. Because like he said, Absol- no, I yeah, because I thought a, before we saw Santo, I thought yeah. a significant amount of time, like a day Absolutely. Had Sure. Yeah, exactly. Did anybody think that possibly Cad Bane was in it? No. If you didn't know 
like I said, if you if you didn't see the post credit scene and actually know what we're going to talk about, there's only two people that it could have been. Santo is the, is one. Mm-hmm. Who else was injured? The forgotten. Yeah, several of the mods. Oh, see, Eric, he got it. He thought it was Bane as well. Mm, there you go. So I guess I'm not I. Uh, too I mean, I was one. I was definitely. Uh, I was surprised. Yes, I, I mean, was in retrospect, I wasn't, but well. I, yeah. I, and I, I actually, once you do the reveal, I, I have an interesting way I came about it because I sure, uh, didn't watch the end credit scene on, on the TV. I had to go to work. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, and so I watched it on my phone while I was at work and I got a totally indifferent impression of yeah, what okay. happened in that scene. And I'll tell you after you tell them what actually happened in the scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this is the sequence that I I talk about the foreshadowing that's going to allow, uh, in conjunction with the post credit scene, all of these elements together. Given who's in the who it is that we're going to see here in a minute, plus everybody at the end of the street, there's there's so much foreshadowing there. Uh, We're not cut out for this. Well, if not not us, who then? Well, they're all standing right there. Right. You can now turn it over to them, and you can go off and do whatever you want to do. True. Okay. Go have adventures with Mando. Well, exactly. So speaking of Mando, um, as the camera turns skyward, we transition up into space where Mando and Grogu are now pulling away from Tatooine and its twin sons. Grogu nestled snugly in the hogged out droid socket, taps the shifter knob on the canopy. And Mando just simply says, uh, no, (laughs) but Grogu begins tapping the canopy even faster. And again, Mando says, uh, no. Well, still Grogu begins tapping even faster until Mando relents and says, fine, but this is the last time. Then reaching for a very particular uh, covered switch on the instrument panel, he uh, flips open the cover and he presses the little silver button found underneath. And uh, when the N1 surges forward, Grogu shrieks with joy as the ship speeds out of sight. Cut to black. Roll credits. But wait, kids. but wait there's excellent more. there's more we do get that post credit <clears throat> scene and uh, in the post credit scene very quick shot we've seen it a million times before it's boba's private quarters and it is in fact the bank to tank the bank to the back to tank and <laughs> lo and behold who's back thundercat bruner as the mod uh, surgeon and uh Man, uh, if that's not Cobb Vanthley in there in the back of the tank. Well, it's <laughs> certainly not Cad Bane. Well, it isn't no. Cad Bane. But um, Eric totally called the Marshal and the Mod Doc last week. Good for you, man, because I didn't see that one coming at all. I don't know about you guys. Did you, uh, Hank, you said you had some thoughts on this. No, so, okay, I watched it on my phone. And uh, I couldn't make out who was in the tank. And... My my head kept thinking it's got to be Boba. It's got to be Boba. Sure. Like Boba said that it, it wasn't him in the tank. Or yeah. The tank yeah, was, yeah. you know, and I thought maybe there's some time had passed. But I swear to God, when Thundercat had his back turned, uh, I thought it was Kira. Oh, uh, interesting. I, like, interesting. Because, because... Oh, because of the hair. The hair and the cut sure, of the clothing. Sure. It looked like dark yeah, balls, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the triangular black and then the high-waisted and... And again, on my phone, like this big, uh, I thought it was Kira and that would have blown my mind. 
Instead, I'm just super happy about what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. And I mean, in terms, we, in terms of this information, when you say uh, we're not suited for this, who's going to? If not us, then who? The new yeah. marshal of <sighs> Moss Espa. Uh, yeah, I mean Cobb Vanth. You could easily now the mayor is dead. So let's let's just break it down here. Politically speaking, the mayor is dead. Um, are there, is there going to be a free election? And if there's not going to be, a, I don't think there's going to be a free election because already the citizens are like. Actually, you can hear it. One of them actually says Lord Fett uh, right. when they walk down the street. So they've right. already accepted him as their leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's got the respect. I, yeah. He, not only does he have the respect, but he now has the, the, the leeway to do it his way. Uh, yeah. And if that means, okay, Vanth, you're in charge. You did a good job out in Mos Pelgo. Right. You want to try something a little bigger? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, even cities need marshals or sheriffs. That's it's, that's it's right. Pretty much exactly how I think it's going to go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Except they're going to be like, get this man some armor. And I think that <laughs> uh, with with all the love Maybe. that he's, he's been getting, I think you might see the Rangers of the the uh, New, New Republic, Republic return with a Cobb Vanth instead of with a Cara Dune. I'd be super happy about that. No, I could watch a western about Tatooine. Oh yeah, uh, oh, once a week. All sure. the time. Yeah. All it could, the, yeah. Give me, it could be our generation's bonanza. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Andy, you Wagon just said something train. really, really interesting. Uh, get this man some armor. Uh, nice MCU reference, by the way. Right. Um, so how's this? This is a super long shot, but I'm not, I would be lying if I said that this didn't cross my, uh, didn't cross my mind for a second. Uh, Boba, the metaphorical rebirth. Boba Fett could live on. He could live on. He could just hand the armor off to somebody else, and they could effectively, as you know, uh, Jango yeah. tried to do by taking a clone to ensure his immortality. The legend of Boba Fett, the legend of Boba Fett, could live on through somebody like Cobb Van. It's because super interesting that you say that too. Pirate Roberts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right, exactly. Um, it's it's interesting you say that because when when we first meet Cobb Vanth in the uh, Mandalorian season two. Yeah, uh, Lauren loved the character, and I was telling her all about how he was from the aftermath novels. And oh yeah, yeah, check that out. Honorary Mando Marshall says right. Eric. Um, she had headcanon where that the the Jawas didn't strip Boba of the armor, but of that Boba had just handed it over as like a misdirect, passing, passing the torch. Well, I just say even to to cover up the fact that he was dead. Oh yeah, that too. So that she too. Yeah, she yeah. kind of liked the idea that that Cobb Vanth deserved the armor, had been given yeah, the armor, yeah, and yeah, yeah. was wearing it in some sort of noble fashion. Oh, sure, sure. Sort of, you know, pretty cool. Well, listen, uh, we've now, we've officially reached the end of the episode. We've now covered all of the footage. We've laid out some thoughts. Um, I'm going to leave us with one more here before we get going, because this is, we've, we've been running long tonight. We're actually coming up on uh, two hours and 49 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it absolutely deserved the time to breathe. And we've, we've given it that. So <laughs> My I, phone I just went into low power mode. Oh, fair enough. We're going <laughs> to wrap good. here very shortly. Um, the theme song. Can we talk yeah. about the theme for a second? Let's because do it. Yeah, I, I thought it I was crazy been, at first. It, well, it was, it was absolutely. <laughs> You knew right away. We talked about before uh, Ludwig Göransson that the theme was definitely his composition. You you can hear it. Um, the end the end credits came with some lyrics that uh, Boca, were kind Boca. of yeah yeah yeah. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I really dug it, and I think mm-hmm. we're, we're gonna go out. Uh, we're gonna go out with a sample of that. 
Excellent. So listen, uh, guys, we're coming up here. Uh, we got we just got our release date. I'm going to wrap it up here with some of our our, our uh, what to look forward to. Uh, uh, Bad Batch season two is coming later on this year. Ahsoka is yeah. coming later this year. But we yeah. just got our Andor. date. We got our date drop for Obi Wan. So yes, uh, uh, May 25th. Uh-huh. May 25th, because that's not a day that lives on in Star Wars fame. Uh, May 25th for uh, Obi-Wan, which means we'll be back that same week, whether it's the, the Saturday or the Sunday. We'll, we'll hammer that out later. Yeah. But we'll be back with our uh, our new uh, review series, which I think we've settled on. Uh, did, did the totals come back in? Well, the totals were like overwhelmingly for the one that I don't because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sound like a pretentious uh, asshole fan. It was fan um, voted, though. It was fan voted. Uh, fan I service. Well, wait a minute. Let's be realistic here. The <laughs> fans that we were, the fans that we were soliciting, were not necessarily fans of our show. They're just fans of fans Star Wars. Of Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right. So, well, now I'm going to put. Let's just let's put it out there. Then let's just hold off for a second and let's just put it out here in the world. We basically have. We're down to essentially two choices. Now, the one that I had that I'm propping for is number two right now the number one fan voted name for the show going into obi-wan is fandom power presents the higher ground our review series of obi-wan kenobi (laughs) number two which is by like a landslide behind in terms of numbers is fandom power presents from a certain point of view our review series of Obi Wan. I, I like them both on so many levels. So do I. Yeah, I yeah. like them both on so many levels. I, yeah. At one point, from a certain pure point of view, is a pure sort of analytical review. Yeah, uh, and and very much what we do, and like even if it is a bit preachy, the high yeah. ground. Uh, we you we morally tend to superior take, assholes. And I, I don't mean morally superior asshole, but we tend to take the high ground when it comes to the fandom menace. Oh, you know what? You're absolutely and, true, right? And not and not play their games. I, we we have to talk about it, but we tend we do, to stay. Yeah. We tend to try to stay above that, and I, I like it in terms of that as well. Well, guys, but listen. let's let's we could call it the old Ben show, and we're going to bring oh, yeah, everything yeah, we yeah. bring to every show. That's right. Uh, and uh, I just remind everybody that there's a there's a five or six part uh, uh, Obi Wan comic coming out just in, at the beginning of May, so we're gonna yep. we're gonna get a little oh, bit of insight tie-in. from the comic nice tie-in. tie-in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also we we had discussed, and I think it's probably a really prudent thing because we we haven't done anything like this, but maybe let's let's take uh, the week before it starts. Let's take a look at uh, that everything we've got. Uh, from sure the we'll Clone Wars, from the movies, yeah, 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 and uh, let's let's do a let's 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 explore the character. the character. Yeah, we'll do a character Obi Wan Kenobi, a character study. That'd be a fun one to do. We'll yeah, do that. and I mean, if it if people like it, we could even branch off into things that aren't getting their own. You know, if Absolutely. we did one about Cassian right before it dropped, and one about uh, Soka yeah, right yeah. before it. But there's nothing to stop us from exploring Kane and Jarrus, or so even That's you know so Pelion, or you know, it'd be kind of a fight, fun way to explore. This. Comment first comment coming in from Twitter tonight here, just as we're getting ready to wrap up the show. Uh, Flame Trident, uh, Flame Trident YT. I hope I said your name right. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the Boba Fett show good? And I have to say, yes, so good. Yes, it's very good. It's so good. It's uh, exceptionally good. It may not be the show that you want it to be, but it is the show that we have, and there is so much Star Wars goodness in it if you know where to look. 
Super and, tickled uh, it, that you're watching us. Yes, and haven't especially. watched the show. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, so like our show is better, <laughs> <laughs> but you should check Boba Fett out. You really should check Boba Fett out. <laughs> but for those, you know, for people like uh, uh, Flaming Trident, um, if you've never watched uh, one of the the Star Wars shows like Boba Fett or The Mandalorian, you actually could. Um, you, you could live vicariously through our show and be caught up and know what's going on. Uh, is, is the book of Boba Fett as good as Mandalorian? It's a very subjective question. And mm. so, uh, my answer to that is maybe it's um, all the same maybe. thing to me. It's just an extension of it's it. It's all, it's, it's, it's a chapter in a book. Yes. It's, for me, it's all the same thing. I might not have liked some of the things that happened in that chapter necessarily, but when I, when I sit back and I look at all three seasons that we have so far, no, sure. It all works so cohesively for me. Again, there, as I, there's nothing that I went, I said, yeah, Oh, yeah. why would you do that? And I no. know that uh, it was a great Western. It was a great samurai Western. It was great star Wars. Oh yes, so I mean that encapsulates it right there. It was all great Star Wars, and yeah, and I saw so one of the quotes I saw levels. this this week was uh, somebody on Twitter had said that, that uh, in, as far as linear hours of Star Wars went, yep. that this was the best hour of Star Wars that they had ever seen. It had uh, so like everything right you could there. imagine. It is so right up there. I mean, right? uh, look at this. I mean. We're now coming up on three hours. It's the longest episode of our show. And not just because the, that it was the longest episode of the first season, but there was just so much to talk about. Um, in it. Yeah. I mean, there was so much exposition and it just was so thought provoking in a number of ways, whether good mm. or bad. I leave that up to the fans to decide, but uh, we certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Couple more, a couple last things. Last couple things. Uh, we talked a bit, a little, little bit about um, things that we've talked about uh, before. Would uh, would guys, would you guys like to see us do uh, an everything you need to know about the dark saber uh, episode, or would you like us to do uh, an everything you need to know about Cad Bane episode? Um, yeah. because we're definitely Let us know, down to do some because we'll do it. <laughs> we we will do it. Here's a good analogy. The Mandalorian is a samurai show and Boba Fett uh, is a Western. No arguments here. Uh, not no, at all. no arguments there. Yep. No I agree with that. Here. Yep. I agree with it. All right, guys. Well, that's it for me uh, here at Fandom Power. Uh, we're going to be back real soon. I mean, I don't know what's coming next week. But there will be something. I don't know what it is yet, but there will be something. A surprise. Episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, until then, guys, I'm going to take us out here. Until next time, guys, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. I'm Hank. Okay, we'll talk to you later, guys. Bye for now. This is the way. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.